1: Professional wrestling podcast, the Voices of the Wrestling flagship podcast. I am the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, a reasoned and well explained man, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, an internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, as heard on BBC Radio, and a good family man, Joe Lanza. Rich Craich will be joining us later. And this isn't one of my gimmicks where I tell you Rich will be joining us later and then he never actually joins the show. Rich is legitimately joining the show later. We're sort of putting together a Frankenstein edition of the flagship this week. We're piecing it together. Uh, This was a wild week. I just returned from dealing with what I had to deal with in New Jersey uh, for about uh, four or five days. Then we had Valentine's Day, which happened to fall. On a Thursday, which is when Rich and I normally record this monstrosity. And as married men, if you think that we were going to get away with, uh, hey, listen, hey, listen, toots, we're going to put off dinner tonight because I got to record my dopey podcast and talk about Pac versus Casey and the Elimination Chamber and uh, Kato Mia." Uh, for three and a half hours. So, uh, we're gonna put off the Valentine's Day festivities. Uh, why don't you go make yourself a TV dinner and, uh, and, uh, put on your sweats and watch some friends' reruns and just be patient and wait for me. If you think that was gonna go over very well and either the Craych or the Lanza household, uh, then yeah, you're sadly mistaken. So, uh, we weren't able to record as usual on Thursday night as we both, uh, had to take care of business. If you know what I'm saying, wink, wink, on uh, on Valentine's Day night. Uh, listen, so here we are. We're going to put together a show for you today, uh, being recorded at various different times throughout the week, and um, and we'll piece it all together and give you a Frankenstein edition of the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. Here is what is on the template. A little bit later on. Rich is going to get with you guys. He is going to break down Jay White versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. He is going to break down Pac versus KZ, which, if you haven't seen it, is drawing rave reviews as a surefire match of the year contender from the most dra- the mo- you know the most recent uh, Dragon Gate Open the Dream Gate defense from the uh, Open the Truth Gate show on the tenth of February which was Pac versus Casey. Rich is going to have full breakdowns of both of those matches in detail. I'm going to talk about those matches too, but I'm also going to uh, go over uh, the entire show. We're going to talk about the new beginning show, and we're going to talk about the TruthGate show. Rich is going to go into detail on the main events of those shows. Rich is also going to talk about Evolve, which uh, if you were not aware, which many of you, many of you might not be, uh, they've got uh, some shows this weekend. Evolve has like no buzz, so Rich is going to go into detail about that. And then Rich uh, drew the short straw. He is going to preview what does not look like a very good Elimination Chamber show coming up on Sunday from the world of uh, WWE. Now, I will say this before I get into the topics that I'm going to cover. WWE has come out of the gates in 2019 a lot stronger than uh, than, than what they gave us in 2018. I thought 2018 was a horrendous year for main roster WWE. We've talked about it ad nauseum, and I do think the company has been better in 2019. You had the, uh, the strong Rey Mysterio versus Andrade TV matches. I thought the Royal Rumble, while not a blowaway show, had some good stuff and some interesting stuff. We've obviously had the rise of Becky Lynch, and obviously... Rich and I, uh, probably another week, he'll talk about it a little bit this week, but another week when we're back together, we we will get into all of uh, uh, the the massive debate on whether Charlotte should have been inserted into a WrestleMania match and all that. But regardless, we've seen the rise of Becky Lynch. We've seen this uh, new heel character and new direction for Daniel Bryan. So I think WWE main roster has gotten off to a much better start in the first uh, month, month and a half or so of 2019 than where we were at in 2018. And, um, you know, that's a good thing for everybody. So I, if you think we like coming on this show every week and just bashing the shit out of WWE, uh, that's not the case. It's 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 easier to do a show when you're burying something. I'm not going to lie about that. It's definitely easier to put a show together where... Because there's more ways to say something is bad and there's more interesting ways to say that something is bad than there is to praise something. There's just no question about it. But it does beat you down mentally talking about shitty things week after week. So hopefully WWE can retain some of that momentum. You always keep them at arm's length. That's a Lanza rule. You have to keep that company at arm's length because they will burn you every single time. But hopefully... With uh, All Elite lighting a fire underneath them and motivating them, they're at least more motivated to stay interesting. And what also should be motivating that company is the declining you know, ratings uh, patterns as they uh, careen towards Fox. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, that's a huge motivator for them as well. But I, I, the Elimination Chamber card on paper, though, I have no idea what Rich is going to say. He might come on this show and completely contradict me. I'm not very excited about that show. We'll see what Rich has to say coming up later on. Uh, but first, we're going to get to the stuff that I want to get to. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, All Elite. I think there's no way not to talk about Double or Nothing or even uh, open up with it this week. So that's what we're going to open up with. We're going to take a look at the uh, the the Open the Truth Gate show from Dragon Gate, which featured that incredible Pac versus KZ match. We're going to we're going to take a detailed look at New Beginning in Osaka. Of course, New Japan has a brand new world champion in uh, in Jay White, the new IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Normally, that would be a lead topic lot going on this week. All Elite dominating the new cycle. It's, it feels like Jay White beat Hiroshi Tanahashi a year ago. I mean, it really does. Um, but we'll get to that as well. And then I want to talk about Pro Wrestling NOAH a little bit because uh, their latest title match dropped. And Kato Kiyomiya, I have a lot of thoughts about the young 22-year-old burgeoning ace in NOAH. And we will get to that as well. First things first, I talked a little bit about this on the Patreon side when I did the Thursday TV reviews. If you are not a Patreon subscriber, uh, why not? There's no reason not to be. There are three different uh, price tiers, $1, $2, $5, something to fit every budget. You get a little something with each one of them, but uh, I was uh, search us on Patreon. Just search Voices of Wrestling. I don't know the URL, and Rich isn't here to bail me out, but uh, just go to Patreon.com, search Voices of Wrestling. We'll pop up, and uh, subscribe. Give us a shot. And uh, we do a ton of content, probably six to ten hours of extra content every week. Rich is doing this deal now where he's looking at the dying days of WCW. That's gone over very well with the listeners. I've got the TV reviews twice a week. And then whatever else pops up. We do a lot of zany stuff over there. So take a look at that. But I did get to this on the Patreon side when I did the Thursday TV reviews this week. But... I quickly wanted to note, I did miss the show last week. Most of you listening know that I had to uh, fly back to New Jersey to take care of some family business. And I just wanted to uh, say to a wider audience, I just want to thank everybody for all the messages I got. It's it's actually a little embarrassing because – Nobody was in danger. I wasn't in danger. My family was fine. Uh, Brittany and the kids are okay. My, my immediate family is okay. It's just one of those things. I don't want to get into it. I prefer to keep it private. But it's just a little situation that I take care of. Sometimes you just got to take care of family. So I did have to fly to New Jersey for a few days. But I just want to thank everybody. Uh, especially on the Patreon. I just got deluged with messages. And then people were sending me text messages and emails and DMs, and it was it's it's it it was actually a little bit embarrassing. It wasn't. uh, I thank everybody for their concern, and um, I'm really appreciative. And it really goes to show um, um, how how good all of you people are. But uh, but everything's okay. Everything's fine, um, and and everything is taken care of, and everything is good in uh, the life of Jolanza, and more importantly, the people around me, because you know I'm you know. I'm just Joe Lanza. These other people, obviously, uh, are, are way more important than me, and everybody's fine. So um, I just want to thank everybody uh, uh, for that. So let's get into the show this week, and let's start with All Elite. Maybe you've been living under a rock. Maybe your only contact with the outside uh, world is this show every week, which is a terrifying thought. But All Elite put their tickets on sale for double or nothing this week in Las Vegas, the pre-sale with the infamous pre-sale codes sold out in under a half hour, 26 minutes. And then the additional tickets that were made available to the general public two days later on Wednesday, the 13th, sold out in four minutes. So double or nothing sold out effectively in a half hour. It took 30 minutes to sell out the show. Look, I think we all expected Double or Nothing to sell out, so I don't think anybody's surprised about that. Now, there was a lot of talk in the lead up to the tickets going on sale that the uh, you know Dave Meltzer had made controversial comments that based on the request for the ticket codes that Double or Nothing was actually a hotter ticket than the Royal Rumble which upset a ton of people. Now, when you look at what basically Dave was saying, based on the number of requests for ticket codes, times, you know, three or four tickets for each person, it didn't really seem all that outrageous. But what I really want to talk about today, and I'm going to circle back to that point. There's a reason I set it up that way, so bear with me. What I want to talk about today is is how AEW just brings out the absolute worst in discourse among everybody. There's certain topics that just bring out the worst in people. Roman Reigns. New Japan. Uh, more specifically with New Japan, um, you know whether or not Tetsuya Naito should have won at the Tokyo Dome and defeated Kazuchika Okada. Or... Uh, whether or not, uh, you know, there's a million different topics you could talk. Whether or not Gato is a good booker, um, whether or not Roman Reigns uh, is being overpushed, underpushed, uh, the victim of a political hit, anything involving Roman Reigns brings out the worst in people. But what brings out the legitimate dirt worst in wrestling discourse, without question, is anything involving all elite wrestling. And there's some reasons here. Number one, It involves very polarizing wrestlers. Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Cody R. Very polarizing wrestlers. So, right there, you've got three guys who also, when they're. Kenny Omega is another one, uh, especially, who, when the topic revolves around Kenny Omega, you just want to roll your eyes and fucking log off and not deal with it because it brings out the worst in people. It brings out. Uh, vitriol the likes of which you've never seen, which makes people lose their minds. So you've got Kenny Omega involved in All Elite. You've got the Young Bucks involved in All Elite. You've got Cody involved in All Elite. You have uh, a company which, even though they have never come out and explicitly stated this, and I don't think it's one of their goals, and in fact, Tony Khan has said the opposite as he does his uh, media junket this week with people like Dave Meltzer and Chris Jericho, okay, but you have this common belief among fans that they are the next great challenger of WWE. So you have the defenders of the WWE Shield coming out, which always brings out terrible discourse. So that's factor number two. Hardcore WWE fans who are so ride or die with that company that they can't have an objective conversation about it. Those fans feel very threatened by the presence of AEW. They feel very threatened by the idea that people are excited about AEW. So that is also bringing out the worst in people. And factor number three is Dave Meltzer speaks positively about All Elite Wrestling. Anything Dave Meltzer speaks positively about is going to bring out the worst type of discourse when it comes to pro wrestling fans. Because there are people who just love to fade Dave Meltzer. And as I alluded to earlier, when he came out and said that uh, he felt that Double or Nothing was arguably a hotter ticket than the Royal Rumble. People lost their minds. So you have those three factors. It's like three super hot topics that can never get discussed with any modicum of reason all combined into one AEW package. So any topic involving AEW is just extremely annoying to attempt to discuss because of those factors primarily. And one of the big critiques I'm seeing from, I guess, and I don't even know why these people exist, but people who are anti-AEW, and we've talked about it a million times, there is no reason for anyone to be anti-AEW. If you are the world's biggest WWE fan, okay, you should be rooting for AEW to be successful because it's only going to make WWE better. I just spoke about how it's been a more entertaining, you know, main roster product over the last six weeks. And, you know, you're seeing pushes of people like Andrade and The Revival and new people. It's all an indirect result of the existence of AEW. The number one group of fan, the number one kind of fan, that should be excited and rooting for AEW is obviously your Bullet Club t-shirt wearing elite fan. Because this promotion was made for them. But number two behind that fan should be WWE fan. Because WWE is going nowhere. AEW is never overtaking them or beating them or putting them out of business. Don't listen to those loons either on the other side. Although, to be quite honest, I don't see many of those. Everyone's playing the both sides thing here like they do in politics. If you bring up that there's people who are vehemently against AEW to an insane, mind-boggling degree... You always have people piping back up. But what about the other side? The people who think AEW is going to take... I don't really see those people. But that's besides the point. The point here is if you're a hardcore WWE fan, you... it's only going to make your promotion better too. Don't be threatened by AEW. They're not going to overtake you. They're not going to put Vince McMahon out of business. They're only going to motivate that company to be better, which we all want because, quite frankly, that company stunk last year. But one of the critiques I'm seeing from the anti-AEW crowd, which are really people who just don't like Dave Meltzer and are tired of him praising some of the things that AEW has done and they're tired of people being excited about AEW and One of the main things I'm hearing from that crowd is that uh, the media, the wrestling media, aren't being hard enough on AEW. They're not critiquing them hard enough. They're treating them with kids' gloves. They're co-opted, which is a word that I'm so tired of hearing because nobody knows what it means. Now, I'm not going to go on the co-opted rant this week, but... There are many stupid people out there who don't understand what that term means and I really wish they'd stop using it. But that's the critique you hear. So what I'm going to do now on this show are talk about some of my critiques of AEW so far. Because here's the thing. Honestly, the reason I think AEW isn't being critiqued very hard at this point is because there isn't much to critique. They've done a nice job. They've nailed it. Every step of the way, if you want to go back and count all in as part of this picture. They've run two highly successful shows. One of them was a great in-ring product. We'll see about the second one. They've uh, hired a very eclectic and talented roster. They've done everything right every step of the way. What is there to critique at this point? They haven't had any shows. I don't know what people want. I don't know you know what they expect the media to do and come out and start bad. What, what am I going to bash them for? They've done a nice job. So, I thought of a couple areas where I can be critical of AEW. I did come up with a couple. Number one, I think they run buildings that are too small. They're too conservative. That's my number one critique of AEW so far. They're not aggressive enough. Because it's very clear they could have sold double the amount of tickets they sold for double or nothing. They're too conservative. They could have sold more tickets for All-In. They were too conservative, in hindsight. But they had... See, All-In was riskier because it was the first time and they didn't know. You give them a pass there. But this time around, they had to know that they could have sold more than 14,000 tickets for this one based on what happened for All-In, based on the excitement of this being a new promotion, they're too conservative. The buildings they run are too small. And this is why I'm going to circle back to the heat that Dave Meltzer took when he said it was a hotter ticket than the Royal Rumble. I mean, was he wrong? The Royal Rumble was heavily papered. They were doing two-for-one ticket sales to get people into the building. Then they papered the building on the final weekend. And they announced that they had over, you know, over fi- almost 50,000 people. I think they announced 48,000. We all know that's bullshit. And we know the actual number, I don't have it in front of me, was something like 32 or 33. Let's just say over 30,000 tickets sold. Now, Double or Nothing sold 14,000 tickets or somewhere in that neighborhood. You really don't think they could have doubled that? They sold the remaining tickets in four minutes. Look, I'm not saying if you put double or nothing in a building the same size as the Royal Rumble, okay, they'd outdraw the Rumble, but I don't think, I you know, I think it would be close. I think it would be in the same neighborhood. And I don't think that's a wild statement based on what we saw. And Dave Meltzer was really only basing that on the interest in the codes there were 20,000 people who wanted these codes even if they only want two tickets each on average that's 40,000 tickets let's be fair here again these are WWE fans who are so threatened that another company is doing well in their backyard that they're losing their fucking minds There was a ton of interest in this show, on par with, I'll be conservative, the Royal Rumble, which was heavily papered and did not do great. But I think Elite is being way too conservative with the buildings they run. You only have one chance for the first time. All in, you know, they didn't want to look foolish. They had a goal of 10,000. They beat it. This time around, I do think they could have run a bigger building. I think it's obvious now. I mean, they're even saying so. So there's a critique. Here's my other critique of All Elite. Here's the other thing that I haven't really liked. Um, They're a little too performatively woke for my tastes. A little too performatively woke for my taste and I think it has already reared its head and become a bit of a negative for them and a pain in their ass in my line of work I manage managers and a lot of times we have to build budgets together and and business plans and then they have to execute those business plans and make their budgets and a lot of times, I have managers with different styles, and, 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 and there are times where a manager does um, a lot of talking and telling me what they're going to do. And I get tired of the talking, and I have to sit them down, and I say, listen, stop telling me what you're going to do. Just do it. Show me. Stop telling me. Just show me. And I feel like that's kind of what we're running into with all elite right now. At the first rally in Jacksonville, um, they're puffing their chest and 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 telling you, "We're going to pay the women the same amount of money as we're going to pay the men, and we're gonna we're gonna give all of this money to to gun violence charities and 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 uh, you know and and, and and all of this and, and just just this performativeness, just just do it." Don't talk about it, just do it. Because when you position yourself as the woke bay company in pro wrestling, you're going to be held to that standard. You're to, you're putting a magnifying glass on yourself. You're putting yourself on a pedestal and you're opening yourself up to criticism, to bullshit criticism that you shouldn't have to deal with, like what we saw this week with people blaming All Elite for the behavior of wrestling fans in YouTube live chats and on Twitter. And how All Elite is supposed to control that, I have no idea. No one can control the internet. But because they've positioned themselves as the woke wrestling company... They've set themselves up for that type of criticism. For people telling them to do something about it. Make a statement. They can make all the statements they want. People are still going to act foolish on Twitter. And on YouTube. There's nothing Cody Rhodes can say that's going to discourage people from saying shitty things. In, you know, Twitter comments and YouTube uh, comments. It's not going to stop. But when you tell everybody you're going to do all these great progressive things, instead of just doing them, now we're waiting for you to do them. Just hire talented people. Just hire Sonny Kiss and Nyla Rose. Don't stick your chest out when you're doing it. If you think they're talented and they can help you, just hire them. And anyone who thinks that those are token hires are out of their minds. Are out of their minds. But why do you think some of these psychopaths are calling Sonny Kiss and Nyla Rose token hires? Because Elite have puffed their chest and tried to make themselves the progressive pro wrestling company. So they've set themselves up for that kind of backlash as well. Ah, look at these assholes. They're just, you know hiring these people is to, listen, if you follow independent wrestling on any level, you know that Sonny Kiss has been making a name for himself and has been getting booked all over the place for the better part of two or three years and is exactly the kind of indie act that Tony Khan and others in the company have said that they're looking for. Not overexposed, fresh, new, talented, different. That's exactly what Sonny Kiss is. Sonny Kiss is very similar to Jungle Boy in that regard. Just starting to break through. A big enough name to where the hardcore fan knows who they are, but very far from overexposed, and something new and fresh to put on the show. That is not a token hire. That's a good, solid wrestling hire what do you think people are going to say when you're out there giving the appearance that you're looking for backpats for doing these things just hire Sonny Kiss and put him on TV and let him do what he does same for Nyla Rose just hire the best talent available and now they've kind of backed themselves into a corner And it's unfortunate that this has occurred. But they have to push these people now. You have to push Nyla Rose and Sonny Kiss. Regardless of whether they get over, regardless of whether either one of them work as television talents, now you kind of have to push them. Because you've told everybody how progressive and awesome and, 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 and woke you are. Now all eyes are going to be on Sonny Kiss and Nyla Rose, which puts the talent, that talent in. I know nothing about Nyla Rose. I couldn't tell you the first thing about her. I'm not going to sit here. I could could speak on – I've seen Sonny Kiss wrestle. I've been familiar with Sonny Kiss for a number of years. I can't talk about Nyla. I don't know anything about her. I don't know if she's good. I don't know if she stinks. I don't know. I know Kenny Omega was a huge fan and pushed for her to be signed. That's all I know. So I'm not going to talk about Nyla Rose. But what if Sonny Kiss shows up on TV and doesn't get over? They're in a rough position now. Now they're forced to make decisions based on worrying about negative feedback rather than making wrestling decisions. If you just... Do the right things by your business, and you don't puff your chest out. And if you're not looking now, look. I get it. If you want to talk about how you're going to pay your wrestlers better and take care of them, let's pivot to this and and take care of them. And there's a lot of union talk, which Cody kind of pumped the brakes on a couple of weeks ago. Or if you're going to, you know, t- you know, take care of wrestler, and and you're going to do that either because you genuinely care about your talent and your employees. Or just as a market edge because you know that your competitors don't do those things, it's really irrelevant to me. But if you are going to do those things, just do them. Just, just do the right things for your business. Just show me. Stop telling me what you're going to do and just do it. The other problem with being performative about this stuff is it comes off disingenuous to some extent. It comes off like you want us to recognize how progressive you are. Instead of, again, just doing it and allowing us to recognize how progressive and different you are. Again, just do it. Stop talking about it. And just do it, because now you're just opening yourself up to critics. Well, you guys said you were going to do this, and you guys said you were going to do that, and you got. Well, how come you're not pushing this person, and how come you're not uh, providing this for your talent? How co-? you're just opening yourself up for that and you're trying to start a new company, you got a million things going on, the last thing you need, the last thing Cody needs is to be fighting with uh, hard leftist trolls on Twitter. Why is he wasting his time doing that? He wouldn't even have to do that if they weren't so performative about everything to begin with. Now all of a sudden, it's your responsibility to shut down Shitty internet trolls who are saying nasty things to Sonny Kiss and Nyla Rose when that's impossible to do. Now you're being pressured to make statements and condemn people in YouTube comments who are very obviously uh, all elite condemns these people. And the statement's not going to achieve anything. You think it's going to stop it? It's not. So if you want some critiques of AEW, there's a couple. I think they're running buildings that are too small. And I think they need to be very careful about being performatively woke. That never ends well. Don't tell us what you're going to do. Just do it. We'll notice Let's pivot to New Japan. Jay White is your new IWGP heavyweight champion. Kota Ibushi has a two-year contract, which they announced on the same show, which which basically blew the, the roof off the building. So at the end of the day, exodus number two following the first exodus a couple of years ago, has resulted in New Japan losing exactly one main eventer, full-time main eventer, in Kenny Omega, which left the door open to elevate Jay White into that position, joining Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, and the newly re-signed Kota Ibushi in what can be described as the New Japan Big Five. And once again, this was uh, another example of um, that wasn't as bad as last time, the panic, but another example of New Japan being fully prepared to handle potential losses on their roster. And this comes from tremendous booking and building. Of new stars. And we've seen it continue. Under this regime. Time and time again. Over and over again. Jay White was right there. Built up for the entirety of 2018. Ready to step up. In class. Into a prominent position. If. Kenny Omega. Were to leave the company. Which Kenny Omega chose to do. He had offers from WWE, New Japan and All Elite. He chose the All Elite offer. and He talked about it extensively to Dave Meltzer on a podcast of what led into that decision. He basically said New Japan made him the least enticing offer. So, Kenny walks. He goes to All Elite. Jay White steps right into his spot. Wins the IWGP Heavyweight title in front of a sold-out crowd in Sapporo over Hiroshi Tanahashi. Interesting to note that Kenny Omega also noted that his new that his I'm sorry his All Elite Wrestling contract allows him to work New Japan anytime he wants. It's very obvious that Kenny Omega wants to continue working for New Japan. Also interesting to note that the New Japan official website deleted the profiles of all of the All Elite talent, Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Hangman Page, with the exception of Kenny Omega. This tells me that Kenny Omega is probably going to work New Japan at some point in 2019, which means they really didn't lose any of their main eventers. Chris Jericho has the same option in his All Elite Wrestling contract. And that is on record from Chris Jericho that he can work New Japan Anytime he'd like as well. And he's interested in working programs with the rest of the top names in New Japan. Like Rich and I have discussed already. There's no reason why he wouldn't want to work with Tanahashi and Okada uh, at some point. And uh, Minoru Suzuki is another name that has come up that he'd like to work with. And I think that would be pretty awesome. But, um, but yeah, so there you go. So New Japan at the top of the card looks to be in, uh, in fine shape. Jay White steps into Kenny Omega's role. He's now your champion. And uh, Kenny, and the door is open for Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho to moonwalk back in and work programs anytime they like. And Kota Ibushi, which uh, nobody knew what he was going to do. All Elite was in play there. He chose New Japan. And he chose to sign a two-year deal. Uh, now that he's back under contract with New Japan, the sky's really the limit in terms of, uh, of, of how they may push him. So who knows? But I expect him to be in the top mix. All year long and really for the next two years. As far as J. White Tanahashi. Um, I've heard Rich speak about the match a bit. I don't know what he's going to say later. Uh, he thought it was a dominant Jay White performance. Which is exactly what Jay White needed. And a definitive win. I disagree to some extent. I do think it was a definitive win. I think it was very important. Just like at Wrestle Kingdom when Jay White defeated Okada, if Jay White was going to win this match, to do it clean. We had seen Jay White cheat all year long in 2018 to get him over as a heel, and they did an effective job of that, even if it hurt the match quality. But he beat Okada clean, which set him up, uh, in hindsight now, that was an obvious setup to set him up for this title win, and he beat Tanahashi clean. There was one moment in the match where Gato jumped up on the apron to distract Tanahashi. Which led to Jay White back body dropping Tanahashi over the top rope. Which was the first big high spot of the match. Aside from that, Gato stayed out of things. And Jay White won this match clean. So, early in the match, some shenanigans from the heel manager. They used it as a transition spot. First big high spot of the match. It was a great spot. Tanahashi took a great bump. From there... Jay White, I thought it was a back-and-forth match. I don't see this idea where everyone's saying it was a one-sided match. Um, But, you know, Jay White wins what I thought was a very good but not a great match. Very good match, not a great match. Not as good as Jay White-Okada. Not as good as Jay White-Juice Robinson from uh, San Francisco. Not as good as the Jay White-David Finley singles match from last year. I just I just don't think Jay White has great chemistry with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Sometimes guys just don't have the best chemistry with one another. And I don't think that they have great chemistry together. It seems to me that Jay White has much better chemistry with other opponents. He has outstanding chemistry with David Finley, which makes all the sense in the world because they've wrestled each other a million times. And he has very good chemistry with Okada. I just don't. I think when White and Tanahashi are in there, it feels a little disjointed. Now, they had a very good match. If I had to rate it, I'd go around four flat. I think Dave Meltzer's out of his mind. He went four and a half on that match. It was not a four and a half star match. Um, but Rich will talk about that match in more detail later on in the show. Let's go through New Beginning in Sapporo a little bit uh, from top to bottom because that's something Rich isn't going to do. Um, second from the top, we had Okada versus Bad Luck Fale, and I worried about this match coming in because Fale has shown a total lack of effort over the last year or so. But I have to give it to Fale; he tried a little bit harder here. He worked his ass off, um, and uh, this this wasn't a bad little match. And Okada picks up the win. Fale usually has good matches against Tanahashi and Okada in this spot. It's become a running joke, but this time of year, Bad Luck Fale. Is always the roadblock for either Okada or Tanahashi coming off a loss at Wrestle Kingdom. And he was in that position here again. And they had a good match. Again, not a great match. I thought the best match on this entire tour was Shingo and Bushi's win over Desperado and Kanamoru uh, to retain the junior tag titles. That was the best match on the entire tour. Remember, New Beginning was split into three major shows. I thought that was better than any of the matches here. Taiji Ishimori retained against Rusuke Taguchi. Taguchi, comedy wrestler at this stage of his career, always steps up in a big spot when he has a title match. And he stepped up here. They had a very good match. I thought the J.Y. Tanahashi match was a little bit better than the Okada Fale match and the Ishimori Taguchi match Both of those matches were very close. They were all right there in the three and three-quarter, four-star range. Taguchi was mocking one of Ishimori's old Toriyaman gimmicks. Came out in the overalls with the microphone, doing the dancing. And then Ishimori broke character and busted into one of his old dances. This match was a lot of fun. The Ishimori-Taguchi match was just super fun. And now Taiji Ishimori is moving into a title program at Jushin Thunder Liger, which is also going to be a ton of fun. It also tells you that they're kind of extending Ishimori's title run here. They're not rushing into whatever uh, the next champion is going to be. You knew he was going to beat Taguchi. You know he's going to beat Liger. Maybe they're buying time until Hiromu comes back. And maybe Hiromu, since um, uh, Bullet Club... um, you know, isn't really feuding, you know, LIJ has been more involved with Suzuki gun lately, so maybe they're just stalling out this Ishimori title run against contenders that he's sure to defeat until Bullet Club, uh, you know, can get back into it. I'm sorry, until LIJ can get back into it with Bullet Club, which would set up Hiromu challenging Ishimori, who knows. Uh, But for now, Ishimori looks like he's going to have a pretty meaty title run. Because I don't expect, I don't think anybody expects Jushin Thunder Liger probably doesn't want the title at this stage. Uh, But to pop up in a title match every other year or so, until he finally hangs them up or can't go anymore, I've got no problem with it. I don't think anyone has a problem with Liger challenging for the title. Uh, Gorilla's Destiny beat Togi Makabe and Toru Yano. This was a little surprising to me, because I thought the Makabe Yano team, the newly reformed Makabe Yano team, were going to be a big-time push team this year. And I thought this was a good spot to pick up a win over Guerrillas of Destiny. Since Guerrillas of Destiny just lost the titles. Uh, they're kind of slumping anyway. They lost both sets of their titles, actually. Um, so this would have been a good spot to beat them. Tama is doing this weird good guy gimmick now, which is more of a comedy thing. So I thought this was a good spot to give Makabe and Yano a high-profile win and get them into the tag team title mix. But Guerrillas of Destiny win. So, this was a little surprising to me. Uh, Chase Owens and Yujiro defeat Tomo Hanma and Yoshihashi. This has to be... Okay, this was fifth from the top. This might be the highest placement that Owens and Yujiro have had as a tag team. And especially, the highest placement in in, in a match that they won. And I'm talking about just a straight two-versus-two tag. So, What we've established here with Owens and Yujiro is, yeah, they're an undercard tag team. But they're going to beat other ragtag undercard teams at this point. And Chase Owens is now under New Japan contract. So Chase Owens and Yujiro, a fun lower midcard tag team in New Japan. And they pick up a very high-profile win for their spot on this show. And then the rest of the show were just multi-man tags. We saw Bushi, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito defeat Desperado, Taichi, and Kanamoru. Obviously, there were other new beginning shows where the LIJ-Suzuki-Gun feud were featured in higher spots, so uh, they occupied a spot. That's what's weird when you split up these shows, okay? We had the blow-off matches. We saw Naito, Taichi. We saw Shingo and Bushi beat Despy and Kanamoru. But because these shows are split into three different shows. Later on in the tour, after we've already had the blow-off matches, we get these weird, you know, multi-man tag team matches uh, that, that sort of uh, come after the, uh, the, the, the primary matches of the feud have already taken place. So it's a little weird in that regard. Um, Evil and Sonata defeated Ayato Yoshida and Shota Uminu Ayato Yoshida and Shota Amino are an outstanding jobber tag team that I raved about in the book this year. You can still buy the 2018 New Japan yearbook um, on PayHip at Name Your Own Price. And it is also available on Amazon for, I believe, $5.99, where I just brag about, I just love this tag team. Of course, they famously went 0-17 or whatever it was, 0-14 in the World Tag League, and I think they may have only one or two wins as a team. And of course, they were going to lose this match. This was a little disappointing to me. I thought that these two teams would have a better bout. Um, but, you know, it was just a match. It was a two-star special. And then the opener here was Hiroshi Tenzon, Satoshi Kojima, and Jushin Thunder Liger defeating Minoru Suzuki, Takamishinoku, and Takashi Azuka by DQ. As the storyline continues where Tenzon is trying to Uh, make Azuka normal again and obviously that's going to be the big conclusion on his retirement show where Azuka is going to snap out of it. And uh, I hope he doesn't. I hope he just stays a madman till the end and we all think we're going to get that moment and he just takes the iron glove and and throats Tenzan again on the retirement show. That's what I want to see because why the hell not? Just go out a lunatic. But it gives... Hey, when's the last time Hiroshi Tenzan had a storyline. So it's kind of fun to see Hiroshi Tenzan involved in something again. And anyway, guys like Kojima and Liger worked this show. Remember, they were originally set to work the United States leg of the New Beginning Tour. But uh, this show, which took place on the 11th, all of those guys were back. Uh, No sign of Tomohiro Ishii or Juice Robinson or uh, Yuji Nagata. Uh, anywhere on this tour because, um, well, Juice was in the United States and the Japanese guys weren't able to get into the United States. And uh, these shows were already booked out. So uh, guys like Ishii and Nagata, they got the tour off. They got an entire tour off. Good for them. Rest up their bodies. I'm a big proponent of wrestlers resting up their bodies. So that was New Beginning in Osaka. Look, I may have said Sapporo earlier in the show, but this was Osaka. Um, Look, this wasn't a great show. It was an okay show. Uh, The three matches on top were very good. Can't call them great. And the undercard was a collection, uh, basically, of two-star specials. And away we go with Jay White. So we're going to see. They put him in Omega's spot. Now, this was interesting. This was something Kenny Omega said to Dave Meltzer privately. He didn't say this on air uh, during uh, Kenny Omega's interview with Dave Meltzer, which, by the way, The Kenny Omega interview with Dave Meltzer uh, was very good. And you should all go listen to it. Uh, Garrett Gonzalez was on it too, to be fair. Uh, But Dave asked most of the questions. But Kenny Omega came off uh, more genuine and honest in this interview with Dave than he ever has before in one of these interviews with Meltzer. And if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know that we've been very critical of Kenny Omega going on the air with Dave, and basically working him. A couple of years ago, this show reported that Kenny Omega was full of shit, uh, that his con- his contract was never up, uh, when he basically went on the air with Dave and told Dave that he was a free agent. That was utter nonsense. The company told us it was nonsense. Uh, but you know, this time around, if you listen to Kenny Omega... And his conversation with Dave. He signed a four-year contract with All Elite Wrestling. And I think because Kenny Omega's future is sort of laid out now. And there was no angle to work. Okay. Uh, He had made his decision between the three companies. It's a relaxed Kenny Omega. You can hear it in the tone of his voice. You don't get that brief moment of awkward silence before he answers each question where it was very obvious in the past, he was thinking about, okay, how can I be as honest as possible while also giving an answer that best benefits my situation moving forward? There was none of that in this interview. I thought Kenny came off genuine and honest and uh, he, he just, he felt at ease. And I thought we got the most genuine Kenny Omega interview that we've ever heard with Dave Meltzer last week. And the reason I bring that up is he noted to Dave off air and then Dave reported it the next day that the working plan, if he would have re-signed with New Japan, was for Kenny Omega to retain the title at Wrestle Kingdom and then lose the title at Madison Square Garden to Kazuchika Okada, who presumably would have won New Japan Cup to set that up. Although Kenny didn't say that. That's interesting. Because we had heard a couple of weeks earlier that the working plan in New Japan was just to elevate Jay White and do exactly with Jay White this year what was planned to have been done with Kenny Omega had he stuck around. And you can kind of see that playing out. Instead of Kenny Omega going into Madison Square Garden as champion, it appears as though Jay White is going to go into Madison Square Garden as champion. So does that mean Kazuchika Okada is going to win the New Japan Cup and then defeat Jay White for the title in MSG? Since he was slated to defeat Kenny Omega for the title in MSG before Omega decided to leave the company? That may be how it plays out. That may be how it plays out. And quite honestly, I think New Japan kind of lucked into the better story. Because Jay White has had Okada's number for about a year and a half now as we head into that uh match all of 2018 and for the first quarter at least of 2019. So Okada defeating Jay White for the title is actually a pretty damn good story for New Japan. I also think it was it, it's really cool that they were going to give people Okada Kenny Omega. On an MSG show that was already sold out anyway. Now granted. It's like the fourth time they're doing the match. And it's a match that they've done in Japan. Three times already or, or whatever it is. and It kind of makes sense from that perspective. Where you're not really burning off. A fresh big time money. You've already made your money. On Okada, Kenny Omega in Japan. So it kind of makes sense. But man, that is hardly dogging it for a show that had already sold out before you announced anything. To give not only a Kazuchika Okada Kenny Omega main event, a match that ran away with match of the year, uh, a legendary series of matches that many would say are among the greatest matches of all time, to give people in Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania weekend, that match, which you know would have been fucking great, tells you That they were really looking to steal the weekend. And to give you a title change as well. Man, there's no way, uh, you know, 20,000 people wouldn't have left that building happy. Like they got their money's worth. But Kenny leaves, Jay White goes into that match, and if they do Jay White-Okada, and they do the Okada title win, I think, uh, you know, that will be very satisfying for the people who bought those tickets as well, so just interesting there. Taking a look at the New Japan booking, what the plan was, and what the plan transitioned to, which was basically Jay White now stepping in to Omega, Omega spot. Now, could they pivot and just do something entirely different with with Jay White and not to, d- d- sure? But I don't know. I think it's curious that we heard okay, Jay White's going to be stepping into Omega spot right down to what the booking plans were. And then we have Kenny Omega coming out and telling us that he was set to lose the title at MSG to Okada. It all just kind of fits. So if I were a betting man, and I am, I would bet that Jay White loses the title to Okada and MSG, but I guess we'll see. And we'll see, you know, the thing about Jay White, okay, is, you know, with New Japan Cup coming up and all of that, that'll probably be his first title defense. So we're really not going to get a chance to see whether Jay White can truly be a top guy from a drawing perspective with this title reign. Because yes, this match with Tanahashi sold out. And a lot of people are just going to credit Tanahashi. okay, And that's fair. We haven't seen Jay White produce at the top. If he doesn't have another uh, title defense between now and MSG, which he's already talked about in his promos, Well, MSG sold out before they announced the match, so you can't credit Jay White for that one. So what's also interesting is we really won't learn anything about Jay White, top-of-the-card star, and whether he's a draw during this title reign, which is also interesting. So it's kind of like a pressure-free title run for Jay White. He doesn't have to. There's no opportunities here for him. Uh, there's no pressure for here him to produce at the gate. He's not going to have a big-time title match at the top of anything. Where, you know, it's his responsibility to draw. So that's interesting too. As far as Jay White goes, look, I think the guy's a star. I think he knocks it out of the park with his promos. I think he knocks it out of the park with his uh, with the way he carries himself. I think he carries himself like a superstar. And the matches, look, I think he's had some great matches. I thought the Okada match was a great match. The Juice Robinson match was a great match. And he's been hit or miss with some others, like the Tanahashi matches. I did not like the Wrestle Kingdom match, and this one was very good, but uh, wasn't at the level of your usual New Japan main event. But I think now that a lot of the elements of uh, cheating and debauchery have been removed from his matches, I think moving forward, I'm not worried about the, the match quality when it comes to Jay White. I think that will come. And I think he'll be fine. So let's pivot away from New Japan and talk about Dragon Gate and his TruthGate show uh, from the 10th of February. Everybody is talking about Pac versus KZ. Match of the year buzz. And I gotta tell you, Um, this right now is my working match of the year. I know we're only in February. But uh, I went four and three quarters on this. No five-star fear. Never felt like a five-star match to me. But as soon as it it was over, I felt, okay, that's the best match I've seen so far this year. I mean, this was a great match. Not only was this the best match I've seen so far this year, this was the best Pac match I've ever seen. And this was easily, without question, the best KZ match I've ever seen. KZ is a guy who they elevated last year. I am not sold on him as a top guy. I'm still not. I'm still not. That's important to note here. Um, I don't see KZ as someone who is a future Dreamgate champion or anything like that. Would it shock me to see him get a run? No. But I don't. I don't know. I see KZ more as your Akira Tozawa type upper mid Carter who never quite gets over the hump. Now, I would have eventually belted up Tozawa. Um, but KZ, I, I, at this point, I'm still not buying him as a top guy. And, you know, I don't want to spend, after he just had the greatest match of his life and a lot of people are discovering him, I don't want to spend this show bashing KZ. I, look, can he get to that level? Sure, but I, don't, I just don't see him as a top guy right now. We'll see what happens. Ask me again in six months or a year. But he's a very popular... Uh, Babyface, right now he's over. There's no question about it. This show drew uh, something like over 2,000 fans to the Hakata Star Lanes, the final Dragon Gate show ever in Hakata Star Lanes, by the way. That's that bowling alley, which you know houses a bunch of different Japanese promotions. So they uh, said goodbye to those fans in Fukuoka with the Dreamgate match, and the best match of Pac's career. Let's talk about Pac a little bit. Uh, We all know that medium effort Pac is a thing. I see people talking as we speak, as I record this. Pac just had a match with Will Ospreay. And uh, people live are saying that we uh, unfortunately got medium effort Pac in that match, and they did a DQ. And look, I've talked about Pac a lot. I think he's a tremendous personality. I think he's a tremendous gimmick. I think he found the king of the cruiserweights thing and the bastard Pac. Uh, he really found something that took his career and put it over the hump, and he's now a worldwide superstar, and good on him. He also knows he can get away with being medium effort pocket at times, and that's what he has done here. Um, and that's what he has done, not here in this match against Casey, but um, uh, you look, the match against uh, a Flamita not too long ago in Dragon Gate and some of the matches he's had in Europe since he left WWE. And really the two Oh five live stuff was very good, but hardly ever great. The stuff happened on two Oh five live now is blowing away. Pac, but in this match against KZ, this was not medium effort. Pac, this was full on effort. Pac, this is what this man is capable of. And this was just an awesome, awesome, um, um, match which was uh and 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 the things physically that these two men did the the key spot in the match for me that had me jumping off my couch was towards the end of the bout uh Pac did a shooting star press to casey but casey was standing and 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 sort of uh punched over but on his feet and Pac just landed on this man's back and folded him in half and i thought he was dead and then he picked him up and followed up with a lariat and 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 crushed him like an accordion again. And that was for a near fall. And then the finish came moments later, where Pac um, where Pac delivered a uh, a pile driver off the middle rope, and then hit the red arrow for the win. Um, he 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 had to kill KZ to put him away, which is often the case in these big Dreamgate matches. But uh, KZ's bumping in this match was out of this fucking world. I mean, the one thing about him is, um, he, he and Pac too, for that matter, in this match, these are two guys who just bumped in such a unique way that it made the match feel different than other great matches that, that you may have seen. Because Casey just takes his bumps differently. You're legitimately worried about the man's well-being because he bumps in such a way that's completely different than everybody else. So it kind of breaks like you 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 watch wrestling all the time and you watch guys take big bumps and you're used to the way that wrestlers bump, they take their flat backs or whatever. And then you watch Casey and he's getting folded up like an accordion and you're like, "Oh my god, is this man dead? Is his back broken?" So it just it's it just it's such an interesting match to watch because these two guys move and bump in a totally different way than everything else on the show and everything else that you really see. That also helped this match. But Rich is going to talk about that match in detail and give his thoughts on it. But I loved it just as much as everybody else did. It's uh, my early working match of the year. And it's a match that everyone needs to go out of their way to see. If you've been disappointed by some of Pac's matches since he uh, escaped from WWE, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed with this one. As far as where they go from here... Um, actually, let's talk about this as we move along the card. I'm going to run through this card the same way I ran through uh, New Beginning in Osaka. So, we open up with Dragon Dia, Jason Lee, and Kaito Ashida, along with Sachi Hoko Boy, taking on Gama, Kanes, Mandu Ryu, and Yashi. Uh, look, there wasn't much to this. This was an opening Dragon Gate 8-man match. There was a little bit of comedy here. There were some dudes that were clearly not going to take bumps for this uh, six-minute 8-man opener um there uh you know, there's just uh nothing much to see here. Um as far as the where'd my notes go? I had some notes on this and of course I misplaced them. Tremendous radio here as I search through the spiral notebook of doom to uh try to find my uh Dragon Gate notes. Anyway, uh, the veteran team won this. Gama, Kanes, Mandu, Rayo, and Yashi. Uh, they defeat the uh, the team of Dragon Dia, Jason Lee, Kaito Ishida, and Sachi Hoko Boy. And uh, actually, I timed this out at about 10 minutes. Let me pull up the cage match because I can't find my notes. So we're going to have to work off the cage match. Yeah, the match was 10 minutes and 16 seconds. So uh, there you go. Next up was a comedy match. Don Fuji defeats Stalker Kawa. The big spot here, Stalker Ichikawa brought out the ladder, um, and um, he took a big bump, and the idea is, because Stalker Ichikawa is such a weakling, he doesn't get a 20 count, he gets a 50 count to get back into the ring and uh, that got a big uh, pop out of the crowd. People were laughing hysterically at the idea that this man was struggling to get back into the ring with a 50 count, and uh, Don Fuji defeats uh, Stalker Ijikawa. I've got my notes. It was Kness pinning Jason Lee in that opener, by the way, uh, just uh, for the interest of posterity. But, uh, okay, so match number three, and this is a key match now, three-way match. Shun Skywalker defeats Kajitura and Kanda. Now, Kanda sucks, and I want to spend some time on this. Kanda is not good. Kanda is one of these veteran guys who's pushing 40, or might even be on the wrong side of 40 at this point, and time is starting to catch up with some people on the Dragon Gate roster. Kanda, the effort just isn't there anymore, and he's not very good. Uh, Kness, who scored the fall in the opening match, His body is falling apart. Every time the guy gets healthy, he gets injured again. He's being held together by Keto Tape. Okay, Kness is just falling apart in front of our eyes. So we're starting to finally see some attrition with these Dragon Gate guys who have been around for the better part of the last decade plus, and they're just starting to get older. Dragon Gate expert Iron Mike Spears who contributes to this site and hosts Open the Voice Gate. He notes that Genki Horiguchi, another guy from that generation, doesn't work house shows anymore. So, again, that generation of Dragon Gate wrestler, we're starting to see some of them, you know, fall by the wayside a little bit as their bodies start to feel the wear and tear of the hardest schedule in Japan and for the most part, these guys have been doing it for like a decade-plus straight, depending when they broke in and with which uh, Toriyama class and all those sorts of things. You know, these guys who are in their late 30s, early 40s now, you know, they've been at this for over 10 years, working a very hard schedule at a very hard pace. And the injury rates in Dragon Gate are very low, especially in comparison to other companies. But we're starting to see it really catch up with guys like Kness and Konda and that was my observation, one of my observations of this match. My other observation is Shun Skywalker, and to me, when he really first opened my eyes was when Shun Skywalker and Masaki Mochizuki took part in All Japan's Junior Tag Team League last year as Outsiders. Skywalker had a tremendous tour, and that's what really opened my eyes on him. And Dragon Gate Insiders will tell you, That he really broke out last year in Dragon Gate as well. And he looked good here. He was very clearly the star of the match. Now Kanda looked like shit. So it wasn't easy to outwork him. But Kajitura is one of the most underrated guys around. And look. He's kind of low effort when he's not being pushed. Okay. So this was really set up for Shun Skywalker to shine. And he won the match. And this is a match that he never would have won a year ago. Okay. But this guy's getting pushed. He's getting pushed. And he had the balls to come out and challenge Pac after Pac defeated KZ, which is awesome. Of course, he's going to lose that match. Okay? But Shun Skywalker, what a big spot. He's going to challenge Pac for the Dreamgate title. And that's exciting stuff if you're a Dragon Gate fan. And this is a guy to watch in 2019. Next up, we had Eita, Kazuma Sakamoto, and the former uh, Cyber Kong, Takashi Yoshida. And they defeated the Mishinoka, uh, uh, the Masaki uh, Mochizuki's uh, um, unit. uh, What do they call them? Uh, The Mochizuki Dojo is what they're called. Hyo Watanabe, Kota Minora, and Yuki Yoshioka. And uh, the big thing here was Eita. He scored a very cocky pinfall on Kota Minora here. And then later on in the show, and we're going to bounce around right to the next match here, we had, because it all ties together, we had Kai and UT defeating the Twin Gate champions in a non-title match, Ben K and Big R Shimizu, okay? And they did it when a chair shot from Aita went awry, nailed Ben K in the head, and Ben K takes the pin. So in the post-match shenanigans, Aita who's kind of the prick of the red unit, disavowed all responsibility for the chair shot and basically said, hey, look, Ben K's the one who got pinned here. Okay? It's his fault that he lost. And Aita didn't take any of the blame. I'm reading off iHeartDragongate.com. Tremendous site which translates everything. End I quote. Aita accidentally hit Ben with a chair leading to, to the UT win. Shimizu put all the blame on the loss on him and asked for an explanation so basically Shimizu was like what the fuck dude you cost us the match Aita refused to take any of the blame they were the ones in the match and they were the ones who lost not like Ben K was capable of doing anything he can't even talk Aeta made a mistake but Ben was the one who got pinned end quote so here's the thing these guys are annoyed at Ata. Eita's basically like, well, fuck you. Aita is, in a faction full of heels, he is the biggest prick in the entire faction. And this, by the way, is also PAX uh, unit. So, there's some friction there between Aita and his scuzzy pals, Yoshida and Kazuma Sakamoto, and some of the other members of Red, most notably the Twin Gate champs, Big R, Shimizu, and K. So Ben Kay's sitting there, knocked out from the chair shot, and Aeta's like, eh, what are you going to do? It's your fault. You were in the match. So coming out of this now, Kai and UT are like, hey, we just beat the champs. We want a title shot. So the first Twin Gate title shot of 2019 is going to go to the unlikely combination of Kai and UT. UT, who you couldn't find with a search party over the last couple of years because he was in the doghouse, and Kai, who's not even part of the company. Who just drops in as a part-timer. In between stinking it up with, uh, you know, All Japan. Even though I like that title match he had with Miyahara. So Kai and UT are getting a twin game title shot. Against Big R and Ben K. Thanks to the chair shot gone ride by Aita. So they're setting something up with Aita here. And I know a lot of Dragon Gate fans are not big fans of Aita right now. I love the character work he's doing. The way he pinned Minora on this show with such contempt... And then after the count of three, he just shoved his leg away like, this man is not worthy to be in the same ring as me. And then the chair shot on, the accidental chair shot on Ben Kay and just disavowing any responsibility, like the little prick that he is. I'm into Ata. I love this asshole prick character that he's doing right now. And I got to tell you, I was talking about this with, uh, with our pal Jojo Remy who uh, occasionally contributes to the site. I think they might be setting up Ata to eventually be the leader of Red if and when Pac walks away from the company. Pac is not under a Dragon Gate contract. Pac obviously is going to be highly sought after by, by All Elite. I'm sure they have either made him a strong offer or will make him a strong offer at some point. He's going to headline Double or Nothing or be in one of the headlining matches against Hangman Page. Okay, so, you know, you know, Pac, you know, has to have his eye on New Japan. He'd be silly not to have his eye on New Japan. So I think Dragon Gate's set up well here. Because I think Aeta can take over the reins in red easily. And they could even do a split where Big R and Ben K maybe split off and form their own unit. And Aita kind of keeps all of the scuzzy guys. Yoshida, Sakamoto, people like that. And Big R and Ben K do their own thing. But that's looking... Now we're playing chess. We're looking about two steps down the line. But I, I like the character work of Eita. I do. I enjoy it. Um, I think he's doing a nice job. And I think it's interesting that he has internal strife with uh, with some of his stablemates. As we move on to an eight-man tag team match, which was Masato Yoshino, Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Genki Horiguchi... Uh, defeating Naruki Doi, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Yokozuku, and Ryu Saito. Look, this was an eight-man tag OG style with eight awesome Dragon Gate veterans. And they went out there, and they were having fun, and it was just a good, solid match. Genki scores the pin on Mochizuki with the backslide. And uh, look, if you're a Dragon Gate fan, if you enjoy Dragon Gate, um, this match was just a shit ton of fun. There's nothing else I can add to it. Just a lot of fun. And that took us into our main event, which I already talked about, which was Pac defending the Dreamgate title against KZ. I guess he's calling his, uh, he's not calling it the Red Arrow anymore. I guess he's calling it the Black Arrow, unless it's a different move. One of you move, move nerds can probably help me out with that. But uh, we already talked about that at length. Look, I thought that this Truthgate show, the final show ever from Hakata Starlanes, was a nice, easy watch. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought they planted a lot of seeds for the future. And I'm into the Dragon Gate again. I'm into the Dragon Gate right now. You know, I drift in and out. I keep one eye on it at all times. Don't get me wrong, I watch all the big matches. Um, but I love what they're doing with Shooting Skywalker, and I love what they're doing with Ata. And I think Pac has really injected new life into the company just at the right time. He came into Dragon Gate at precisely the time that they badly needed him to come into Dragon Gate and help the company. And this KZ match was the best match of his life. And, um, you know, Rich is going to talk more about it a little bit later on in the show. So that's uh, Dragon Gate as we bounce over to Noah. Noah which will be the final topic that I talk about before I hand off the baton to Captain Kreech. So if you don't care about Noah, uh, slap the fast forward button or stick around, join me, sit down and uh, enjoy some Noah talk. So Kato Kiyomiya had his second defense of the GHC title, Cork and Hall, February 1st. I just got around to watching the match. I don't think it aired. I think it, I'm not sure when it aired, honestly. I think everyone just got around to watching this one, even though it took place uh, nearly two weeks ago. Yeah, it didn't air until February 9th. So um, this was a uh, a match that uh, just dropped in all the, uh, the the usual places. But Kato Kiyomiya has his second uh, title defense, his V2 defense against Masa Kitamiya. So you know if Kiyomiya and Kitamiya were working for Vince McMahon, one of them would be changing their name. But uh, Kiyomiya, his second successful defense. And I want to talk about Kiyomiya a little bit. Because I'm worried about this guy. And Rich and I noted it when he won the title from Takashi Segura in December. We talked about that match. And I had noted at the time that something was missing from that title win. And actually, I believe that was a solo show where I talked about that. But something was missing from the title win. Here we had this dominant champion, this Noah icon, this badass motherfucker who was buzzsawing through everyone, right? In Sugi, it's Takashi Segura, And here we have this 22-year-old kid who everyone knows is being groomed as the next ace of the company. He even wears green, which is important. Symbolism. And he takes down this monster. And he defeats him. And it just felt a little empty. It didn't feel like it should have felt. It didn't feel like a huge career-making win for this 22-year-old burgeoning ace. Something was lacking. And I spoke about it at the time. And I want this to work, but I just feel like That win, he just didn't quite get off on... It didn't get over the way it should have. And then in January, he defends in Cork and Hall against Cano. Who exactly one year earlier, exactly to the day, one year earlier, he challenged Cano for that same title. And Cano wins by knockout. He knocked him out with a kick to the dome. And Kiyomiya avenged that embarrassing loss exactly a year later. As champion, he defends the title and he defeats Cano. And again, it was a good match, but not a great match. Not, the, not a breakout performance, which he badly needs. And it was just missing something. The story was right there. Just like the Segura match. They set the deck perfectly for the kid, and something was just missing. Flash forward a month later. Kato Kiyomiya defending against Masa Kitamiya. Kiyomiya versus Kitamiya. Masa Kitamiya, solid mid card wrestler in Noah. You could argue an upper mid carder. Usually gets a challenge against whoever the current champion is at some point. He'll give you a decent match. And again, this was a good match, not a great match. We're still waiting for the breakout performance from Kiyomiya. And again, it was just lacking something. So we're two defenses into this title reign. And it just doesn't feel like it's clicking. He's 22 years old, and he's being asked to grow into an ace while being in the position of champion, and I think that's unfair. He doesn't, he's. He's not exuding the necessary confidence. That's number one. He doesn't look super confident in the role. He's 22. This is going to bother people, but I'm going to say it. He's still green. He's not showing the necessary fire. I'm not seeing the fire from this kid. I'm not seeing the confidence from this kid. It's just lacking something. He doesn't have the confidence of a champion. He doesn't feel like a champion. He still feels like a young boy on the come-up is what he feels like. And unfortunately, he's in the position of champion. He's working from underneath in all of these matches, which is fine. I get the story, but he's not showing the necessary fire when he fights back in these bouts. He's not grabbing me. I'm watching Kiyomiya wrestle, and I'm not thinking to myself, come on, kid, go get him. Let's get this guy. I'm thinking to myself, God, I hope someone beats the shit out of this little nerd and wakes him up and stokes the fire in him because I'm not seeing it. And I want this to work. Everyone wants it to work. But it's not working. And my fear now is it's going to drag on too long and hurt him long term. You don't want to get the stigma of being a failed ace. Especially this early in your development where it can mess with you mentally. And I would hate to see that happen. It's very clear to me that this kid is not confident. He still sees everyone around him. As his elders. You can feel it. You can feel it when you watch these matches. When he cuts his promo in the post-match. Just the way he carries himself. He just doesn't exude the confidence of a champion. He doesn't have the swagger. Look. Cano was briefly champion before they put it on Segura, And we all know Cano wasn't going to be any kind of long-term answer or, or or business-changing ace or anything like that. But Cano, he knew how to exude... He, When Cano walked into the ring, you knew that he was a cocky little prick. He exuded some confidence. Kiyomiya does not. Mio looks uncomfortable in the role. Now, I'm not giving up on him. And I'm not even saying he's a failure. And I'm not saying that he can't grow into the role. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying he's not there yet. He's definitely not there right now. And I'm concerned, I'm very concerned... That this could ultimately turn out to be a negative. Both to him mentally and if 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 the fans start to notice what I'm noticing. You don't want to be a failed ace at this stage of your career. You don't. Maybe you don't recover. And look, Marafuji came out to challenge. He returned on this show, and he came out to challenge even though his side lost on a six-man tag. And I gotta be honest, Marafuji should win that match. I think if you get the title off of Kiyomiya now, it's not waving the white flag, it doesn't make him look bad, it doesn't look like you're abandoning ship. All it will look like is that you established Kiyomiya at a championship main event level, and he got schooled by the company legend. And there's nothing wrong with that. It gives him a barrier to cross. Okay, he's got to figure out how to beat Marafuji. Kano, Masakitamiya, those are nice little mid-card guys. Okay, but if he loses to Marafuji, he can say, okay, well, now he's got to figure out how to beat Company legend. It gives him a goal to work towards. And then maybe later in the year he gets him in a tag or he gets him in a tournament or he comes close and loses, whatever the case may be. But now he has an achievable goal that the fans can focus on. And when they see him finally pick up that scalp, maybe that helps him get to the next level and maybe it just helps his confidence as a performer. But there's a couple problems here with Kiyomiya. Hasn't had a breakout performance yet. The matches have been good but not great. I think a great match would go a long way in both his perception and for his confidence. He doesn't come off as having any confidence whatsoever. That's another big problem. And he just doesn't exude Ace right now. And here's the other thing. And people won't like this either. He doesn't look tough. And I get it. Okay? This isn't 1990, and there aren't a ton of Stan Hansen's running around anymore, and it's a different world and all that. And But the problem is, not only does he not look tough, he doesn't exude toughness in the ring either to overcome it. Hiroshi Tanahashi doesn't look tough. But when you see him in there, trading blows with Shibata, or mixing it up. When he wrestles, you get the he can he can wrestle tough. Same for Naito or Okada or anybody else. I get it. The, the thing with Kiyomiya is he doesn't look tough and he doesn't exude toughness either. And I think that's because it's all of those things I talked about. Show some confidence. Show some fire. You're the fucking champion. Have some swagger. But he still behaves and comes off like a rising young boy. And to me, this title run, to this point, is not working. Now, the fans have not turned on him. They don't exactly rally behind him either. He's not getting monster reactions. But they haven't turned on him either. In fact, to this point, his his matches have drawn exactly what Segura's drew against the same opponents, Segura drew about 1,000 fans against Masakita Mia, 1,050 to be precise. Kiyomiya's match this uh, on the second, 1,071 against the same opponent. His defense against Kano. 1,400 fans. Same as Segura's match against Kano and Corican Hall. His match against Nakajima and Corican Hall. 1,500 fans. Segura's match against Nakajima and Corkin Hall, 1,500 fans. So in terms of business, business is exactly the same. He's not running anyone off. It's not like the fans haven't, have uh, you know, don't believe in him necessarily. But they're not rallying behind him either. And beating Segura, ending that title run of Segura's, defeating the monster, should have been a jump point to a new star, and it hasn't been. It's status quo in Noah. It's the same old, same old. Business hasn't moved, positively or negatively. So to me, before fans do lose faith in him, because it's clear that he doesn't have the confidence to be the champion right now, I believe Marufuji should beat him. Especially if Kenta's coming back. Marafuji Kenta just drew 6,000 fans in Sumo Hall in September. I get it. It was an anniversary show, special circumstances, Kenta coming back, one night only. I understand all of those things. But you can't tell me that if Kenta's coming back, that Marafuji Kenta wouldn't be a hotter program than anything else they can do right now. And this company desperately needs some kind of spark. And Kiyomiya has not given them the spark. So you can keep trying for six months... And risk burning this, and risk ruining this kid forever, or you can move on to something that you know is going to produce at a better level than you're producing at now. Now, with that said, I don't think Kenta is a lock to end up in Noah. I don't. That's where I'd like to see him go, uh, end up, but I don't think it's a lock. If you don't think he's thought about New Japan, you're not being honest with yourself. His pal Shibata is there. You know, Noah is in arguably worse shape now than it was when Noah left, than when Kenta left to begin with. He hopped off a sinking ship. Is he going to want to hop back on the one that, you know, is a few feet deeper in the water than it was when he left? What would be the point? So I don't think it's this this stone cold lock that he ends up back in Noah. But working under the premise that that is where Kenta winds up. Look, I think the deck is is I think is is set up perfectly. You get the title on Marafuji, and now look, I know Marafuji doesn't really want it and hasn't wanted it for a couple of years, but you got new owners now. They want to see results. They're changing the color of the mat. Listen. I take Marufuji in a room if I'm the new owners and I say, listen, this kid, let's get the title off him. Let him grow into the role without the pressures of being champion. I'm not saying give up on him. Understand what I'm saying here. I don't want to give up on Kiyomiya. That's not what I'm suggesting. But let's get the title off him before we risk ruining him. He's 22 years old. Let's let him grow into the role without the pressures of the title. And I talk, and I listen, I get Marafuji in a room and I say, listen, we need you. This company hasn't drawn big since Marafuji Suzuki the first time around. Minoru Suzuki. In the early stages of the Suzuki gun invasion. Aside from that, the only other match that's, that's drawn big was Marafuji versus Kenta at the anniversary show. Marafuji is a sneaky good draw. And realistically, he's still the ace of this company. Marafuji should win that match. It gives Kiyomiya a long-term goal. It gets the pressures of that title off of Kiyomiya. And the title reign does not look like a failure whatsoever if you get the title off him now. He had two successful defenses... It was just long enough to mean something, but not too long to where you exposed them. It just makes too much sense to lose to Marafuji. And then you can build the kid up without the pressures of... Ha- he should still be your long-term answer. But if Kenta's coming back, I do Marafuji-Kenta. That carries me through the rest of the year. And, by the way, I get Nakajima back in the mix... Because after Nakajima's failed title reign, and make no mistake, that was a failed title reign. He has reinvented himself to the point where he deserves another shot now. Because he's not the same guy he was when they gave it a go the first time around. And then eventually, you groom Kiyomiya to beat all three of those guys. With the final hurdle either being Marafuji or Kenta. Assuming Kenta comes back. But I'm a little worried. It's just not clicking. It's just not clicking. And the show by the way. This and Hall show. It was not good. 50 Funky Powers won the tag team titles from Hooligans. The Hooligans are just... Yeah. The Yuji Hino thing, that lost steam real fast. I thought Yuji Hino would be a perfect opponent for Kiyomiya to defeat at some point. I don't think they're going to move in that direction. Backbreakers, they beat the uh, you know the DDT boys who came in. Kasuki Ishii and Kuki awasaki I did not like that match. The Marafuji return match, of course, his side lost. Saito Marafuji and Takashi Segera, they lost to uh, Katoge, Goshi Ozaki, and Nakajima. I'm seeing reports that Katoge has an injured shoulder. Eddie Edwards is coming back. He uh, cut a promo, a pre-tape promo on the video board. So he's coming in, Challenge for the tag team titles. Yohei's feud against the Rattels has continued. He teamed with Ogawa and Katero Suzuki to beat Hayata, uh, Miyawaki, and Morahashi. So Yohei, Hayata, uh, the former partners, they're headed towards a singles match at some point. But uh, yeah, a lot of this, the undercard was clipped, but uh didn't look like anything so hot. And I really didn't love anything on this show. I mean, the title match was fine. And I really didn't like anything else on the show, so... I'm a little down on Noah right now, but I think if Kenta does come back, that'll obviously shoot some life into the company without question. And I do think it would be very foolish if Kenta comes back to not pivot to, uh, to Fuji and Kenta. I mean, you know, get what you can out of that to, to attempt to spark the company. And, um, you know, pump the brakes on Kiyomiya a little bit because it's just not clicking. And that's it for me. Rich is going to tell you all about Zip Recruiter and then take you through the second half of the show. Take care.
0: All right, guys. It is my time to shine now. I got the hot tag from Joe. I'm ready to do the last half of this uh, episode, this Frankenstein episode of the Voice Wrestling uh, Flagship Podcast. As Joe said, I know he alluded to at the beginning uh, the reasons why uh, we're doing this as weird as we are. I'll be back to normal next week, though. Uh, We do promise you that. But, uh, yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures, and that's what this thing is. So, um, yeah, before I get into the stuff I was going to get to, Elimination Chamber, uh, the Evolve weekend going on, uh, KZ, as well as uh, J.Y. and Hiroshi Tanahashi, I do want to let you know that this... uh, Frankensteinish ish episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at ZipRecruiter. And hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the world's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80%, 80%, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Let me let me let me repeat that for you. 80% of employers Who posts on ZipRecruiter? Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. You cannot beat that. Right now, listeners of the Voice Wrestling flagship can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, let's get this show on the road here. Um Again, I apologize for <laughs> the weird nature uh, of the show. But, hey, we're getting it done for you anyway. You're still getting a flagship. You're getting it, you know, a little bit late. Uh, and as a result of, of that lateness, uh, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, I'm going to get to the Evolve weekend. Like, the one of the Evolve shows that I'm going to talk about and kind of preview briefly is actually, like, literally happening as I'm talking about it with Evolve 121. But uh, I think we can still find a pretty uh, interesting way to kind of take uh, and, and look at that. But uh, some of the other stuff that I wanted to talk about happened uh, earlier in the week. So it's perfectly fine. Uh, I was super excited to talk about both of these matches with Joe. But unfortunately, yeah, things didn't quite, uh, you know, Joe sort of alluded to it earlier, but the Valentine's Day really threw a wrench in our plans because, you know, we had talked about and I, I, you know, we usually will do Wednesday or Thursdays, the two days. Well, Wednesday this week didn't really quite work for me. So I said, Joe, hey, Thursday, you'd be for Thursday. Yeah, Thursday's fine. Okay, cool. Good. It was probably about like, I don't know, 1 p.m. on Wednesday when I went, oh, no, (laughs) Joe, (laughs) I don't think Thursday is going to work at least not for me, uh, because I got Valentine's Day, and I had plans with the wife, and she was off work, and like, yeah, we would made dinner reservations and whatnot, and so that that was just not going to happen. I was like, Joe, you can go solo if you want, and he was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You think I'm going to be able to ditch out on Valentine's Day to go, you know, talk about wrestling. Yeah, so it, it didn't quite work out. So I'm glad that we figured that out, like, a, a few days prior, and it let us sort of plan, okay, here's what we're going to do now. On, on, on Friday afternoon, you're going to do your portion. Uh, Friday night, when I get home from work, I'll do, I'll do my portion. It sucked because none of us were really available at the same time at any other point this week other than Thursday night. But, uh, of course, that was not going to happen. So um, this is the best we could do. So just to kind of let you know. But, uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to talking to, about both of these matches with Joe. Um, but it's Jay White and Hiroshi Tanahashi And it's Pac and KZ uh, Two big time title match main events uh, From both Dragon Gate and New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, I'll start with Jay White and Hiroshi Tanahashi That's one that uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber Voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon Of course, uh, you will hear you would have heard my thoughts As I was driving to work uh, I, I watched it in the morning of, I believe it was what, Monday I want to say it was, Monday or Tuesday, I forget the day Exactly, as I was driving to work I did a uh, an instant reaction uh, for that show So if you want to listen to my instant thoughts On that, you can go check it out at voicewrestling dot com slash patreon uh but for those of you who are not patrons which i don't know what you're doing why are you not a patron but uh if for whatever reason you're uh, one of those weirdos that's not a patron um i'll kind of briefly touch on i think my thoughts with the match and this is something i really i i I mentioned a lot on the patreon I got a little bit of a blowback and, and a little bit of conversation but i think it's a fun discussion and i was hoping to have this discussion with joe uh on the show this week but the match itself i didn't find that special I didn't find it to be that engaging, that incredible, that awesome. I wasn't, like, standing and pacing in my den. You know what I mean? I wasn't standing and clapping and going, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Oh, my God, I can't believe that. Oh, geez, I can't believe they did this. But 100%, it was done perfectly. 100%, it was the exact match it needed to be. And and the, what and, and, and what I mean by that is, like, I really can't Starwise go any more than, like, three, three and a half. That's where I'm at with this match. Which, you know, that's not a terrible match. But it's not a great match. It's not a good match, and people are like, "Oh my god, it's a New Japan main event, and you only went three and a half stars." Like, this has got to be terrible. And I kept telling people, it's not terrible at all. Like, I really like the match. It just it, it didn't move me to a level of, of excitement where I want matches to be to really throw a bunch of stars on, them and really say, "Oh my god, this is a match that you have to watch. You got to see it. You got to go out of your way to watch it." Match of the year, like it's never going to come up on Match of the Year. I, I, I'd be shocked if it even gets a vote for our Match of the Year at the end of the year. I know I won't vote voting for it. I don't believe Joe will either. It, but it, it's not a match defined by how many stars it was going to get or how incredible it was. It was a match defined by the story and what it was about and the purpose and everything that kind of went into it. And when you look at it from that case, it was exactly, exactly what it needed to be because Jay White just went in there, was in total and complete control, beat the fuck out of Tanahashi, beat him down and sent that old man pack in and took his title away. And everyone's left going, oh my God, Jay White is our new champion and he looks so good doing it. Uh-oh. We're screwed. And that's kind of all you want out of it. That's exactly the story that you want to tell out of that match. So there wasn't a bunch of reversals and a bunch of kickouts. Jay White didn't kick out of a high fi flow and then hit, hit you know, hit the, 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 the Blade Runner and then Tanahashi kicked out of the Blade Runner. And then he, like, it wasn't that. Like, it, w- it wasn't like your classic Omega and Okada or your, your Okada Tanahashi's where it's just near fall after near fall and all this fun stuff. And you're, you're on the edge of your seat wondering, oh my God, when's it going to end? And oh my God, it's a, it, it, it wasn't that at all. It was pretty slow moving. But it was pretty definitive in terms of Jay White just going out there and beating Tanahashi, just being the better wrestler on that night and taking the title and making it seem like, oh, geez, like this guy's ready to go now. So that's where like it was one of those matches that I, I, I wouldn't I both gave it maybe a lower quote unquote rating, but also recommended people go out and see it. It's a match that I don't think I'm going to talk about ever again, you know, for, for, or I'm not going to talk about it at the end of the year, I should say, for like match of the year, whatever, but it's one that's going to resonate with me forever because it was an important match and it told an important story and it told a good story and, and it, it exactly achieved what it needed to achieve. So that's where sometimes star ratings can kind of fall on, on, they, they, they don't always tell the exact story like one of my favorite matches and I bring this up all the time when, when talking about stars is uh, the Hiromu Kushida match from a few years ago where Hiromu just beat him in like two minutes I forgot how long it was the exact time but Hiromu just beat him Hiromu just he, he, Kushida went in the ring Hiromu just decimated him put him away and won and it was like star rating wise No, I mean, how could you... It was a two-minute match. Like, the way that we sort of rate matches or the ways that I I rate matches, like, I couldn't in good conscience give that four stars or four and a half stars or whatever, but I love that match. It was incredible because it was exactly what it needed to be, and it sort of shocks... It's a little bit of a shock to the system because you're so used to sitting down and going, okay, here we go. We're going to have a 25-minute back-and-forth, all that sort of stuff, and I'm not complaining. Like, those matches are always great. I love a a, a hotly contested back-and-forth match with a bunch of kickouts and all that sort of stuff. I love that stuff. I live for that stuff. But sometimes you like the little change of pace. Sometimes you like a guy just going in there and beating the guy. You just like the story to be told that this guy is way more dominant than that guy. Squash. Ma- I love squash matches. Squash matches rule. I wish there was, I wish all TV wrestling was filled with squash matches again, because I think it's an effective way to get a guy over and they always look really cool. I love seeing guys just go out there and, the hell out of a guy, prove that they're better, move on, do some push ups along the way. You know what I mean? Pin them, do the, you know, the high, you know do whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Like, really kind of just show that you're so much better than this random ass dude that showed up and tried to fight you or whatever. I love squash matches, but I can't rate a squash match. You know my favorite squash matches. I can't say, oh, that's that's four and a quarter. What an incredible squash! Because it's just like, yeah, it was like a minute, and you know, Coco weird beat the hell out of a dude and pinned him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but I love that stuff. Undertaker, you know, he he beat some mustache jobber and 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 threw him in a body bag, and it's like, yeah, cool, perfect. That's exactly what it needed to be. But it's hard to rate. So this is a match that, like, when people saw my rating, we were like, oh my god, like what, what, I, what? You didn't like it, Rich, or you thought it was bad, or oh my god, the, the standards of New Japan main events are, are 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 plummeted or whatever. I don't know. We're going to see. I think Jay White still has a little bit to show me, and I think to a lot of people, too. He has a little bit more to show if he can deliver and and have matches on that level of like a New Japan main eventer. Because you do need to have really, really great matches, I think. There is the working standard in that company. Can he do that consistently? Can he do that a few times per year? I don't know right now. Right now, my instincts are that he can... But I haven't seen him do it yet, so I'm a little apprehensive until i actually see him do it. But, you know, I, I don't think that this match is a representation of, oh my god, the sky is falling, oh my god, New Japan main events are over. I think this was just a very clearly designed type of match that was, was geared towards having Jay White look dominant. In, in victory, and that's exactly what it was. So that's where, you know, sometimes ratings don't tell the entire story. But I really enjoyed it. it, it it's not a match that I'm probably going to rewatch a bunch of times, but I always remember it. And it was, you know, enough hyped up where I was like, fuck, I got I to gotta do an instant reaction on my way to work because I want to talk about this match. It was such an important moment uh in that sense. As far as where White goes now and, and you know, White's your champion, and now it's kind of the next steps with, with New Japan of, you know, I, I'm very curious to see how he draws uh, as, as champion. Uh, it appears that his first title offense will probably be Madison Square Garden because they mentioned uh, the winner in the New Japan Cup will face off with White uh, at MSG. So I'd imagine that'd be his first title defense. There's no real reason to to shoehorn anyone uh, before that. So that makes that, that's probably a good spot for him to make his 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 first offenses in America, which you know might might be a little bit more receptive to him or whatnot. But I I think I'm I'm very curious to see how it does in Japan as well. I I think you know we saw that this match drew pretty well. Um, I'm led to believe that White can probably still draw, uh, but I don't know. As champion, it's a whole different story. So, so we'll see kind of how that goes uh, before we know, you know, before we can really give an exact, um, you know, state of the, you know, state of 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 the J White title reign. I want to at least let him do it, you know, once or twice before I declare it. Oh my God, what a disaster! How? What are they thinking? These idiots! What are they doing? But uh, the big thing is, can he leave the void left by Kenny Omega? And and that's essentially what we have here. And and you know, Dave Meltzer kind of alluded to it. Uh, in various episodes of Wrestling Observer Radio, is that the plans were, and and people kind of ran with it in weird ways and whatnot, but the idea that Dave sort of laid out there was that a lot of what they planned to have Kenny Omega do in this next year, they might just have Jay White do, like in terms of of being the champion. It's possible that Kenny Omega was not supposed to lose uh, the title. If he was sticking with New Japan, he would have held the title until G1 or whatever. You know, whatever. And we might see once Jay White, if he holds it until you know, Dominion and drops it, that may have been the spot that they wanted Kenny Omega to be in. And and maybe Tanahashi was just a transitional champion, and this is a way to get it back onto a guy, but that Jay White is sort of in the role of Kenny Omega, because that, you know, that's kind of what Dave alluded to. So, I don't know if that's exactly, I don't know if it's like an exactly one in one like every single story that we have for Kenny we're just going to put on, on, on Jay, but... You know, they're, When you look at that too, it's just like he sort of ascends as like this Gaijin. I mean, he's obviously the Bullet Club leader, but but outside of that, he's your big time you know Gaijin guy in New Japan, and, and he's your champion now as well. So he really is in a lot of ways, just kind of taking over Kenny Omega. Uh, Kenny Omega's spot and the big thing will be the void left by Kenny Omega who who's a consistent draw uh, in, in Japan as well and has been for, for years and years and years and then also I think the bigger void you know match quality which we said at, at, you know I, I kind of alluded to at the top like I think Jay White has the ability to have incredible matches you know every few months or whatever uh, I think he has the potential to have a really really good G1 but I haven't seen it in practice yet. Last G1, he was fucking around doing this character, trying to build heat, so he wasn't really out there trying to have great matches. It's fine. I get it. And then, you know, we... I really like the Okada match. I really, really like that at Russell Kina, but I mean that's he's in the ring with you know, because it's Shikokata. Like, you know, it's not too hard to have a great match there, but can he do it against a bunch of different guys? Omega was great at that. Omega can could have great matches with Naito, great matches with Okada, great matches with Tanahashi, great matches with, you know, Ishii, great matches with Goto. Uh, those Goto, uh, Omega matches always rocked. So he was able to kind of have a lot of uh, Kotobushi, another great one too. He was able to do it with a lot of varied different characters. Can Jay White do that? I, I don't know. And the expectations are going to be that jay white's just going to be able to kind of slide into that spot and i don't the, the pretty lofty expectations though because kenny omega is one of the best wrestlers in the world so that's going to be the big thing that i'd look at is 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 the quality of matches are they going to live up to what kenny omega was doing as well that that'll be uh, pretty fascinating to see as we go forward but uh the draw thing will be will be pretty cool to see uh to and to monitor um how well jay white draws as a champion but uh yeah so that's that's jay white and Hiroshi tanahashi um I know Joe talked to, sorry, I'm going to have to take a drink of tea. I have a little bit of a sore throat still, so (laughs) I have try to make it as as quiet as possible uh, when I do it. But uh, I know Joe touched on the show a little bit more. Um, as well, so of course you've already listened to that portion So I don't need to tell you about that because you're listening to this part You already listened to part 1 Unless you, for some godforsaken reason, skipped to my part And then went back to Joe's, which is a weird way to listen to the show don't, don't do that, start with Joe's And then get to me, I think it uh, it, it builds pretty nicely there But uh, I wanted to get to uh, Z as well From Dragon Gate's Truth Gate show uh, I know again, Joe talked about the entire show uh, We have a review up at VoicesOfWrestling.com By Case Lowe And I'm actually going to reference his, uh, the last paragraph that he had uh, in the piece as well, because I think it does a great job of sort of wrapping up the match, which which by the way, I went I slapped the five stars on this thing I thought it was perfect, I thought it was an incredible match, um, match of the year level for sure, probably I don't know if it is my match of the year right now I think Okada and White I really did like a lot, and that one probably has this one beat by a little bit but this one is definitely on the spreadsheet it's definitely one I'm going to watch at the end of the year and I, I cannot imagine that it doesn't finish in my top three, you know, at the end of the year, unless it's an incredible year 2019 is incredible. Maybe this one gets bumped back. But this, just, a, it, it's a lot of what I really like about pro wrestling, you know, kind of packed into one match. It wasn't overly long, which is a problem with a lot of Dragon gate matches. One of the big complaints I have with Dragon gate is very often their main events can just kind of feel meandering and feel long and feel like they're just kind of going and going and going and going and going. This wasn't that. This was pretty hot action. I don't have the exact match time in front of me, but it only felt about like 25 minutes or so. It might have even been less than that. It might have been even closer to like 18 or 20 or whatnot. But, you know, super quick back and forth action between the two, but in a way that didn't feel overbearing at any point. It felt like each of the guys were were they were they able to kind of do what they wanted to do and have their story be told and, and have it be obvious to the crowd who had the momentum at the time while also doing cool shit throughout too. So I think one of the cool parts about this um, – I believe it's the last show for the Hakata Starlanes, which is a, a very famous venue in Dragon Gate history as well. I think this is the last one, too. So the crowd was extra amped up knowing that this is the last match for it. And I'd have to imagine the wrestlers were, too. I mean, Pac's a guy who who's a Dragon Gate, you know, uh, veteran in a lot of ways. He's been, he, he was there, you know, before he went to WWE and before he was doing other stuff. He, he had been there for quite a while. And KZ, of course, is, has been there for quite a while, too. So those guys know the importance of this venue to Dragon Gate. And I think they wanted to go out with a bang. And I think that they did, absolutely. Um one thing I loved because it was an awesome touch uh, in December when, uh, for people that didn't see it, it was Pock versus Yoshino in December. I want to say it was either late November, or December. I forget exactly uh, the date of the show. Uh, during the UK national anthem, Pock started attacking Yoshino, which like just drew the biggest. Boos from the crowd. They couldn't believe this bastard. This fucking bastard's gonna attack him during his national anthem. So KZ, who's smart enough and scouts it during the UK national anthem, looks over his shoulder the entire time. and just stares down Pac to go, "No, you're not gonna attack me. I know it's probably what you want to do. I'm not gonna let it happen." Which again is something that subtle enough where I don't know that like if you're not a hardcore Dragon Eat fan, you really notice all that much. You might think that a guy is just staring him down because he wants to sort of you know stare him down before the match or get in his head. But knowing Dragon Gate and watching that December match, you know that he's doing it because Pac attacked, you know, during the UK National Anthem. So it's one of those things, that's something I love about wrestling, is that you don't have to, you can do smart stuff. You can do little nuggets for the hardcore fans. It's enough, and they did it in a perfect way that if you don't know, It's fine. Like, you can fill in the gaps there and just kind of think, ah, well, KZ's staring him down. Whatever. Okay. Makes a lot of sense in the world. But if you're a real hardcore fan, if you know everything and watch everything, then it's even that much more special for you. And that's the stuff that I love. And they don't hit you over the head with that stuff. Good wrestlers, good wrestling, good promotions do not hit you over the head with that stuff. They do it subtly. And if you pick up on it, you pick up on it. If you don't, whatever. It's fine. The match isn't going to be made or break. You know, that wasn't the point of the match. You know what what happened there that that intro, but it's enough to make you kind of get a little bit more hyped up. And I was like, "All right, here we go." That's pretty cool. Uh, as far as the action, I mean, just great action all throughout. I think Pac, Pac was. Just moving around like a maniac. Just great offense. KZ was selling his ass off too. KZ is a guy who doesn't always reach the, the the top top tiers for me. I haven't quite seen it with him the, the same way a lot of other you know real hardcore Dragon Gate fans did. Dude, I love this guy in this match. He was so good. And I'm I'm on the KZ bandwagon now after this match. This guy worked his ass off in a big spot. And and I've mentioned this a lot of times too. One thing I love about Dragon Gate is that they can get guys ready for these big spots. And they're so good at just grabbing a guy who who you might not off the top of your head think a year ago. I don't think you thought, well, obviously a year ago you didn't think Pac was going to be there. But, you know what I mean? Like, KZ is a guy who, and, and they used to be so good at doing this, Dragon Gate, is that they would just get a guy whether he'd be in the mid-card or the lower card or whatever for for a while, and they would just build him up and get him ready for these big matches. They didn't always win these big matches. They might lose him, and then maybe they're right back to the mid-card. But they would get them ready, get them ready, get them ready, to the point where you're like, oh, they might be pulling the trigger on this guy. And they're so good at, 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 Dragon Gate is so good at making you believe that Almost anybody can win on any given moment in any given match. And I think that's cool. And there's a unique way to do that that doesn't appear to be parody booking, that doesn't appear to be 50-50, but more that you are doing such a good job of developing guys all across the card that it wouldn't stun you if KZ just beat Pac right here it wouldn't stun you if Pac beat KZ and, and KZ just went to, you know, back to the mint card or whatever. But there's enough of that elements where like you could totally believe that K Z could win this match and, and they do a great job of that. And that really helped the match a lot too because the crowd didn't just think, oh, KZ's here because KZ is just the flavor of the month this month. They thought They've been building this guy up. He's been winning a lot. He's ready to go. He's going to win this match. And and that that always adds a bunch to it, when the fans really do truly believe that that guy has a chance of winning it. But, yeah, KZ was doing an incredible job of bumping. Pac was just all over the place with his stuff. He did just, oh, my God, there was a shooting star press to the back of KZ, and KZ just made it look like a million. But he looked like his back. His back might have actually been ravaged by that. I have no idea, but they were throwing uppercuts. They were throwing kicks. They had great topes. They just had incredible stuff. At one point, I know, uh, I think this might have been a little bit, Later, but uh, or no, maybe I think it's right around this time. Uh, where pockets at a, a top rope pile driver to KZ. Oh my god, by the way, I'd never want to see that ever again. Though. That looked like it could kill somebody, so maybe put that one in the back pocket, but still just looked incredible. And there was just, just great counters of counters. Uh, you know, I talked about in the you know, the J. White Tanahashi was not a bunch of those counters and stuff. This one was, I mean, this one was all about who could be the better man, who could reverse the other guy's reversal, who who was a little more scouted and a little bit better at this moment, so it, ah, man, I, I really do really, really love this match, and, and I did want to just read uh, Case Lowe's final paragraph uh, about the match, because I think it does a really great job of sort of capturing the the, the tenor uh, the tenor of the match, and I did want to say he went four and three quarters, so we had a five star fear. He couldn't, he just couldn't do the five star, but that's all right. He said the closing stretch of this match featured major league intensity. Uh, this was a crowd that didn't want to see Pac lose as much as they wanted KZ to win. Every near fall was heartbreaking. Every move was hit with perfection. I'm not sure what else you'd want from a wrestling match. This was major league execution with a top notch crowd and a unique atmosphere. Perhaps. Pac uh, took all those factors into account, and that's what willed him to victory. Because at the 25 minute mark, he caved in KG's che- KZ's chest with the black arrow, Pac's first successful defense, KZ's second loss as Dreamgate challenger in his career, and one of the best matches of 2019. That was from Case Lowe's review at voicesofwrestling.com. So, yeah. Um, and he's around he's the money there about like the crowd was into every near fall. Like KZ, they, were, they wanted him to win. But then Pac, they also were kind of wanted him to win too. But then they also kind of wanted KZ to win. It was like every near fall was just like they were losing their mind. The crowd was in so excited about it too. And knowing that, like, once that, that the one, two, three happens, this place is done. Akata Star Lanes is done. You know, Dragon Gate is not running there anymore. So that was kind of that, that's sort of an added element about it too is just like, you know, you're rooting for the match to continue because you're rooting for this venue to continue and the memories that you've had in that venue continue. So there's a lot of there's a lot of depth to this. It really was. So and, and it all played into like this being as good of a match as it was and being this incredible moment. So definitely go out of your way. Uh, watch the Pac KZ match from Truthgate Dragon Gate Truthgate. Um, Dragon Gate, I believe I, I forget how their streaming network uh, exactly, I, like, I, I forget now when this is going to show up on VOD, because it was up there for a day, and then I think it goes away, or if you don't watch it live, like, there's a lot of weird wonkiness of it, but uh, the Dragon Gate Network, uh, you can check it out, or uh, if you really want to, uh, if, you, if you're if you good with the Google machine, I think you might, you might be able to find this match, too, so uh, either method that you want to use there, Dragon Gate Network um, should have it up as well, or you can, uh, you can click on the old... Uh, Put the eye patch on and see what you can do, <laughs> you know, if you want to try to find uh, uh, another version of that match. But uh, yeah, two matches you definitely should go out of your way uh, to check out, two matches that you should absolutely watch. One match that I put five stars on, I thought it was one of the best matches um, I've seen in quite some time, and, and potentially a match of the year contender, and another match that will be very important in 2019, be one of the stories of 2019, but maybe not a match that you need to, you know, drop everything and definitely go out of your way to watch. Um... Or, you know, I think you do have to go out of your way to watch it. I should I should reiterate, but not necessarily one that you should go in thinking that you're going to get some incredible match and incredible moments or whatever. You're going to see a very important match and a very, you know, well-told story and a match that tells the story it exactly needs to tell, but maybe leaves you a little underwhelmed in terms of the match. But uh, two matches for sure uh, that you should check out when you get a chance. All right. I'm going to do a T-SIP time. So, here, one sec. And I could edit this out, but it's like 10.30 on a Friday, so I really just want to go to bed. Um, I'm an old man now, so yeah, 10.30 on a Friday. I'm like, oh, Jesus, this is late. But I get up at 5, so that's all right. I'm allowed to do that. Uh, Evolve. Uh, the big Evolve weekend going on here. I uh, will start with Evolve 121, which I am previewing as it's literally happening <laughs> right now. I think it maybe just ended uh, as I was doing this. I kind of stayed away from spoilers uh, as well because I don't want to give any spoilers in this. And I actually kind of want to watch the show this weekend uh, as well. But this is Evolve 121, which is going on uh, February 15th. Also, uh, WNLive.com, of course, where you can check that out. Uh, matches that we have on this show, we got a special attraction match, of course. Gabe. Uh, Josh Briggs versus Kurt Stallion. We have a non title match. Dady Drake versus Harlem Bravado. Uh, we have Joe Gacy and others showing up as well. Leon Ruff, Adrian Alanis, uh, Liam Gray, Kevin Kenyon. Uh, Damian Tangra and Takuri. I don't know who any of those guys are. Oh, there's Skulk. Oh, there's Skulk guys. Okay, yeah, it's the Skulk Scramble match uh, between those guys. Uh, Shine Nova Championship. You have Aja Pereira versus Priscilla Kelly. So uh, Aja Pereira is the champion. Priscilla Kelly going for the, uh, the Shine Nova Championship here. Uh, we got a grudge match. Anthony Henry versus Eddie Kingston. We have an involved tag team championship match. The Street Profits, of course, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford versus DJZ and AR Fox. Uh, then you have Adam Cole versus Shane Strickland. So Adam Cole coming in the weekend. He's the, the NXT liaison this week, or the NXT favor. Right? I don't know whatever term you want to use, the special attraction coming from, uh, from uh, NXT this week. But uh, yeah, you got Adam Cole versus St. Strickland, the only in Evolve dream match. Uh, and then your main event is Darby Allen, chale- Darby Allen challenging for the title uh, against Austin Theory, uh, your Evolve champion. So that is Evolve 121. Evolve 122 next night, of course, uh, from Concord, North Carolina. Uh, you have a special challenge match, of course, Kurt Stallion versus Harlem Bravado. Uh, you have special attraction match, <laughs> DJ Z versus Josh Briggs. Uh, as good as it gets. I don't know, yeah, that's what the title is. Air Fox versus Shane Strickland in a grudge match. You have Angelo Dawkins versus Eddie Kingston. I am here for that. That sounds incredible. Angelo Dawkins versus Eddie Kingston in a grudge match. It'll be a good, a huge spot for Angelo Dawkins, too, so I'm really curious uh, how he does there. Uh, only an evolved dream match, Adam Cole versus Darby Allen. Also, Austin Theory versus Anthony Henry. That's for the Evolved championship, uh, if, if, of course, Austin Theory retains the title, but... uh Gabe doesn't usually do that. Usually he's got a little bit of a caveat there. If, uh, you know, if the challenger, you know, if Austin Theory retains his title against RBL and that's who he'll be against. But this time he just put it right on there. So, I, you know, again, I, I stayed away from spoilers. But, you know, <laughs> presumably based off this poster, Austin Theory may have retained his title. But uh, Austin Theory versus Anthony Henry, uh, that's going to be a revolved Championship match. And then your WWN Championship match in a... uh Representative of redundant titles here. WWE Championship match main event for Evolve 1-22. JD Drake, who is your champion, defends against Montez Ford. And that, I, I'm really excited for that because Montez is incredible. I think Montez has a ton of potential. And he's, I, I think only recently I've realized that like Andrew Dawkins is really, not that Andrew Dawkins is horrible, but Andrew Dawkins is Angel Dawkins, man. He's been in like WWE developmental for like nine years now. Like it's obvious that that guy's not a star. You know what I mean? It's obvious that he's not going to be. But Montez Ford though. I, every time I see Montez Ford, I get a little bit more impressed by him, so I'm super curious to see how he does in this match. It's a real big opportunity for him in a singles match because he's the guy I think can be a star. He's the guy I think when they do break up the Street Profits and, and when they do go their separate ways that Montez is going to be the guy that we always look at and we always say that was the star of the team. I'm curious. This is a huge spot for him. I wouldn't mind seeing him win the WWE Championship. I just wouldn't mind seeing him have a great match with JD Drake. So I'm really looking forward to that. Really have a lot of eyes on that too. But also Angela Dawkins too. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Angelo Dawkins is the star. Maybe he goes out there and has an incredible match with Eddie Kingston and all this Montez Ford shit. We just forget about and go, oh my god, Angela Dawkins. Or both of them are good. It could be both scenarios. It could possibly happen. But uh, that's your Evolve weekend right there. I'm definitely going to try to check out at least the main events uh, from the shows, the big time matches. I try to watch them all in full. But you know, there's so much wrestling to watch that sometimes it gets. A little tough, but um, Joe alluded to it a little bit uh, in his pre you know, it, it, when he was talking about me sort of previewing these Evolve weekends. Is I, I have to be totally honest with you, I did not know these Evolve shows were happening until today, and the only reason I knew is because someone asked, Hey, when do you guys know? You know, when's an Evolve show starting? And I was like, What, what do you mean? Then I realized, Oh, there's an Evolve show today, this is an Evolve weekend. The buzz that Evolve is getting right now, at least in our bubble, I don't know if your guys' bubbles are different. Please let me know at Voices Wrestling, or or, or you know, obviously comment on our forums, voiceswrestling.com slash forums. When I put the show post up, it, it, is it is it just our bubble? Is it the the bubble that we've sort of crafted here? Because that's that's the thing that we get a little bit with, with, with Twitter. We tend to we tend to insulate ourselves with with people that either agree with us or exactly what we want we we can tailor it we can tailor who we follow we tailor exactly what we want to listen to i try to follow you know accounts that that i don't agree with or accounts that that hate us or hate me or or, or talk about different Types of wrestling, the wrestling that I don't watch or whatever, we follow a bunch of lucha accounts. I don't really watch that much lucha, but I like following them. I feel like I always need to be up and up on the news and know what's going on. I follow a bunch of different, uh, you know, different regions of independent wrestling, like wrestlers from all across the world and all that sort of stuff. Like I want to at least have my finger on the pulse. I run this website, you know, what I, mean? I run Voices of Wrestling, so I need to know what's going on in all the world of wrestling, even if I if if I don't watch it, if I don't like it, that doesn't matter. It, it's I need to sort of know and, and be aware of it. I didn't see a thing about this evolve, and I'm not really. I'm not being. Exa- I'm not exaggerating. I'm really not trying to do the. You know, because that used to be a, the, the trope of like Ring of Honor. Oh my god, I can't believe there's a Ring of Honor pay per view today. Like I know, and I'm I'm guilty of making that sort of tropey joke all the time too. I'm not doing that here. I legit had no idea that the show was happening, that this weekend was happening until someone around noon said, "Hey, when's the evolve show starting?" And it dawned on me. Oh my god. <laughs> That's happening this weekend. And like, these are pretty good cards. I like these cards, but the buzz is zero. We're just not seeing it. I'm not seeing it on Twitter. I'm not seeing it on Facebook. We're not talking about it in our Slack chats and our our staff Slack chats. I get the WN newsletter, you know, the daily newsletter, though. I I don't know how often he sends it out. I kind of tone it out, though, because it gets sent so many times. So maybe if I read those, I would be obviously more aware of it right away. But I kind of chime in with those every so often. I don't watch it. I don't read every single one of them. But I didn't know, so I don't know. I, I, I again, I don't know if that's my bubble, if it's our bubble in voice wrestling. If it's just kind of the people that we follow. But I want to know what you guys say because, and I, we mentioned a few weekends ago when Johnny Gargano came in there, uh, Joe and I, that those shows had no buzz. Like it, it was the same thing where I didn't hear much at all about them. I knew that Johnny Gargano was coming there for the weekend, but I didn't really know much about the shows or whatnot. But they drew well. And the fans loved him, so it may be that just evolve has, for lack of a better term, evolved out of our little bubble, and now is sort of serving a different sort of fan base that 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 you know maybe a little bit more of a regional fan base, maybe more of a fan base that that is into NXT. I don't know. I don't know the fan base that they're reaching right now. I don't know exactly what they're doing. I don't know who is following evolve because I'm telling you, five months ago, six months ago, two years ago. I would never have not known that Evolve Weekend was coming. We would have done previews on the website. We'd have reviews ready. I'd be hearing people talk about it. I'd see Kenny Johnson mini-docs. I'd see Gabe tweeting his ass off all about it. Gabe showing up on, on, on Wrestling Podcast talking about it. Joe and I would be previewing it. You know, It'd be on our schedule for sure to preview. I, I'd be seeing tweets all week about it. That wasn't the case with this one. So, I, I, again, I don't know if that's me. It might be a me problem. I don't know if it's a them problem, but I really want to. I, I, I'm very curious what you guys have to say because I'm curious. I want to know that if it if it is just us. I want to know sort of if it's just our bubble and our insulation that, that that is causing that, or if truly you think, oh yeah, evolve. Yeah, I really don't hear much about evolve anymore. I'm I'm curious. I'm really really um, i because I. I want to like Evolve a lot. I, I, I really do like you know what they've been doing. I think that the addition of the Street Profits has been good, and every show there's I watch I usually enjoy. Like I don't, I've 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 rarely ever watched an Evolve show and go, yeah, that was nah, that was no good. I always enjoy Evolve shows, and I always try to make time for them. But it's it, it's becoming increasingly like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of wrestling going on. Like, is it okay that I just miss them? Is it okay that I just don't talk about them? Is it okay that they kind of leave my wrestling conscious? Because I've kind of broken the habit, and I don't know if that I can necessarily get right back into it. And, you know, on our website, we've broken that habit, too. We used to preview every single Volf show. We'd make sure we reviewed every single one, but I stopped having people that wanted to do it. You know, Sean Cedar, who was doing a lot of our reviews uh, as of late, you know, he'll, in a week's time or whatever, a week and a week and a half, he'll watch these shows, and then he kind of reviews them a little bit after the fact, or he'll do, like, a a weekend wrap-up preview or whatever. But, like, we had people clamoring to do them night of. You know, we had previews out there. Warren Taylor, um... Use used to write for our website a lot, would have previews ready to go and, and reviews ready to go immediately after the show. show was done. Five minutes later, here's the review. Oh my God, this match was, this match was great. The show was great or whatever. We did the review up right away. We don't now. And again, again I don't know. That might be a me problem. But people would ask and, and, you know, we'd have some people say, hey, should, should we preview Evolve? I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, we're not really getting much. They weren't getting a lot of clicks anymore. They weren't getting a lot of hits anymore. People weren't really retweeting our previews and reviews and stuff. And it seemed ultimately like it was just kind of we were just kind of spinning our wheels, wasting time on it. And, and I mean wasting time not necessarily in that, that Evolve is a waste of time. But, like, we as a website were wasting our time kind of I, – I felt like writers were, were spending a lot of time talking about them. And a lot, a lot of people were, were reading about them. And now a lot of people were, were super interested in it. And, and I don't want to waste their time. Don't waste the writer's time. So, I don't know. Again, is it my bubble? Is it our bubble? Let me know. At Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, VoiceWrestling.com slash forums. Let me know what you think of, of kind of the where the state of Evolve right now. And and where you see it as well. Because um, I'm, I'm very curious uh, on your guys' thoughts. Because you know, I kind of laid out my thoughts there on where it is. But uh, regardless, looks like a pretty fun weekend. Let us get to Elimination Chamber 2019. baby, Devils, what is it, Devils Playground, what the hell was the the Elimination Chamber, the Devil's favorite, the Demon's favorite, what the hell was the, JR used to always say it, and then he stopped saying it, the Devil's Playground, was that it, was it the Devil's Playground? I don't know, doesn't matter, no, I want to say, it was Devil's Playground, right, I'll go with that, Devil's Playground, let's go with that, anyway, Elimination Chamber 2019, of course, coming up this Sunday, um, we, I gotta talk about this card. It, it, you know, normally we come onto these shows and we talk about, you know, WWE pay per view and, and 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 sort of preview how we don't really like the stories going into it and and whatnot. And this is this is strange because as Joe sort of said at the top of the show too, like I think WWE's been pretty good this year. I think they've had a lot of really good wrestling. Like they've obviously stepped up their game wrestling wise, uh, moving up guys like a Mustafa Ali, uh, more focus on a guy, a Daniel Bryan, you know, Becky Lynch going out there and having great matches. I think everybody at top to bottom on the card. Has done a good job of 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 trying to make their matches better. At least their TV matches have been a lot better uh, than they were almost through the entire 2018. And that's what makes this all the more perplexing. Is this, this this Elimination Chamber show, which on paper I don't know. On paper, I don't think it looks very good at all. Which is like which is nuts because Royal Rumble looked incredible on paper. Royal Rumble looked like it was going to be one of the best shows they had ever put on in terms of just like reading the card off. It ended up not being that. Of course, it ended up being a tremendous disappointment. And that it, you know that happens from time to time. And maybe this one's going to be a tr- way over delivered, but like just reading down the card, you know, as I was doing our preview um, at com uh, as well, our preview, Barry Hess and uh, Suit Williams, I'll have the preview up there. As I was kind of running down the uh, the matches, I was just kind of like, yeah, 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 like, you know what I mean? Like, not, and not necessarily that I like don't really care for the stories all that much because I really never care for the stories that everybody tells because most of them are pretty shitty, but, um, Normally I can say, yeah, that story's stupid, but oh, dude, these two guys, like, they're, of course they're going to have a great match, these two. But, I, I don't know, I'm just not feeling it much on this Elimination Chamber show. So, I don't know, maybe it's going to over-deliver, maybe it'll be an incredible night, but eh, I don't know. I'm not uh, not loving what I'm seeing here. Uh, we'll start with the pre-show. Um, I can't believe they did this again. I cannot believe. They they pre- <laughs> uh, Buddy Murphy, Akira Tozawa. Buddy Murphy defending his Cruiserweight Championship. They announce it. Everyone says, oh, it's not going to be on the pre-show this time. Oh, they announced it at the, the main show. And then Thursday comes. I don't know. They sit down. They time out the show. Gosh darn it. We got four hours. But we just do not have enough time for Buddy Murphy and Akira Go to the pre-show, guys. So Buddy Murphy and Akira will be on the pre-show. I'm sure they'll have a great match. I'm sure it'll be good. Those dudes are going to be good. The story that they've been telling has been good. To5 Live has been fun. Buddy Murphy and Tozawa, it's going to be good. It doesn't matter, though. It's on the pre-show. And, and and I know that I'm sort of the gimmick is that I'm kind of like this pre-show snob that doesn't watch the pre-shows. But hear me out. Here's the thing that I, I kind of say about the pre-show. And I, I I liken this a lot to, like, sports. Is I kind of have a similar vibe with, with sports games. Is that something that happens in the first few minutes of a sports game never feels as important as something that happens later. Something that happens in the middle of the game. It never does. If you're watching baseball and somebody hits a walk-off or, you know, walk-off, a a lead-off home run, it's a cool moment, obviously. But, like, he does it with, like, half the crowd there, people walking around with beers. It's not as loud as it could be unless it's like a playoff game or a big time game and everyone's there ahead of time or whatnot but if it's just like a normal regular season game or whatever you know a guy hits a double to lead off the game nobody gives a shit you know just people are still sitting down people are stepping into aisles and looking at tickets and wondering where their seats are and oh here's my seats or whatever basketball's similar to if a game let off with a you know jump ball and then an awesome pass into a dunk or whatever it, it, it's not nearly going to be as important if that dunk happen, you know, 10 minutes into the game, 20 minutes into the game, or in the fourth quarter, something like that. That's where it's more important. Everyone's there. Everyone's watching. Everybody's engaged. Everyone's ready to go. Everyone says, hey, we're we're here watching this. Mo-. It's never that way at the beginning uh, of a show, and it never is that way at the beginning of a, of a game. And and that's where I'm at with, with this Buddy Murphy here, or any of these 205 live pre-show, pre-show matches, these Cruiserweight uh, pre-show matches, is that you can go out there and kill it and have an incredible match, but there's like dudes walking in aisles behind with their popcorn, and there's people making beer runs, and half the crowd's still kind of filing in, and there's the murmur of people sort of talking to people in the row, and excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and all that sort of stuff. It, the atmosphere is dead. The atmosphere is done, and, and that kills it for me. I'm a very much an atmospheric wrestling fan. I would love the hearing the crowd, seeing the crowd, watching the reactions, watching wrestlers play off the crowds. I think that's as important as any other aspect of pro wrestling. And when these guys go out there, and they kill it, they do, but they kill it in a way that we're like, the people aren't fully engaged. The crowd's not fully engaged. I don't know if they'd be fully engaged if they were all there anyway, but you know for a fact they're not engaged because a lot of them either aren't there or they're making a beer run or they're peeing before the real show starts or there's a commercial break halfway through the match, which we always is always going to happen, which kills it for me too. They come back from the commercial. There's a little bit more people in the crowd. You still got people walking through aisles looking at tickets. You got people going on beer runs. You got people getting popcorn and nachos. And that's, that's not engaged fans. That's, that's not people. So they're playing to an audience that doesn't give a shit. And, and again... They might not give a shit because it's 205 Live and they don't treat 205 Live with any respect. But here is the problem. It's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nobody cares about 205 Live, so put it on the pre-show. Well, no one is ever going to care about 205 Live unless you give it that time and that space. Why? You have a four fucking hour show and you can't find 20 minutes in that to give to Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa. We really need to see another Braun Strowman-Baron Corbin match. You can't just give Braun the fucking month off. You can't just say, Braun, who fucking cares? Chill out. Take the month off. We'll come back. You'll do something for WrestleMania. We really have to see him against Baron Corbin in dress pants again. Really? We can't give Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa a well-built match on 205 Live, which we're presumably trying to build and trying to make important. We cannot possibly, in a four-hour show, give those guys 20 minutes to have a title match. It has to be stuffed under the pre-show. When Pat McAfee and and Charlie Caruso are talking at a table and then cutting the commercial and then the match is going on. We really we we there's just no way that we can possibly find these guys four hours, you know there's possibly no way in this four hours we can find them twenty minutes. We just have to Bobby Lush and uh, Bobby Lush. That's it. Bobby Lush is a great name by the way. They should go with that one. Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush in a handicap Intercontinental Championship match. Really? Why is that? That can go a minute and then give these fucking give Buddy Murphy and Akira hour their twenty minutes. Have Braun Strowman beat Baron Coburn in four seconds. Who fucking cares? It's Baron goddamn Corbin. The company even tells you he sucks. There's this ongoing storyline that this guy tanked our ratings. But he's still on the show. Like, what, what, what are we doing? Why, why? Why do I have to see Baron Corbin again? Why do I have to see Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin again? What have I done? What have I done? I just want to see Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa in front of an engaged audience. Is that that much to ask? It really isn't. But that's on the pre-show. So, that sucks. The only match I was really, really, truly looking forward to is on the pre-show. I'll watch it. But it's not going to feel the same. It's just not. You can tell me all you want about you know, these great matches that up on these pre-shows. I agree. There's a lot of good matches that up on the pre-shows. The Royal Rumble pre-show match was awesome. You know, a quarter of the crowd was there. You could hear the echoing in the, in, in, in the building. It's just not the same. And they, f- they don't feel like stars. They feel like lesser wrestlers because of that. So, no. Miss me with that. I mean, that, that, no. I, I, I'm not going to buy that these, these matches are good. I agree. They're good. And it, it, it's, not, it's not the fault of these dudes. They're doing all they can. But can you imagine the pride? You know the, the, the it's just like if you're a guy like a Buddy Murphy going out there every week and busting your ass and doing all you can to make that cruiserweight championship all it could be and all you're doing to make 205 Live what it is, and you're announced. Oh yeah, Buddy Murphy and Akira is at Elimination Chamber for the title one on one, and then Thursday, yeah, you're bumped to the pre-show. Go wrestle in front of you know people getting their popcorn. Go wrestle with a commercial break while, you know, Pat McAfee and Peter Rosenberg are yammering around about bullshit. Sam Roberts is cutting some angle or some shit. That's, you know, how disheartening is that? Versus not just having 20 minutes uninterrupted in the middle of the pay-per-view when everyone cares, when everyone's sitting down. Because that would make people care about 205 Live. It really would. Because the matches are incredible. The stories are good. People would care about it. But you have to make people care about it. It's, it's, It's pro wrestling. You in many ways can dictate what people care about by just giving it attention and giving it time sometimes it doesn't always work, sometimes it fails miserably, but I don't think 205 Live has gotten their fair shake, and I know for a fact on pay-per-views they have not, and so it sucks, so that's on the pre-show, so it is what it is but thankfully guys, no DQ Braun Strowman, Baron Corbin, we get to see Baron Corbin wrestle a shitty fucking match while he's wearing dress pants, and Braun Strowman tell him to get his hands, and Braun Strowman will win, and then I guess these guys, I, these guys will wrestle forever you know Baron Corbin, Braun Strowman for the next years. I mean, the, the assassination they've done to Braun Strowman is unbelievable. That dude is nothing anymore. Nothing. They had a star. He was huge. Oh, he still was big. You know, He's still literally huge. But they had something with him. I don't know anymore. I don't know what they have with Braun anymore. They've cooled that guy off. They have that thing over, so I don't know that's their own doing, but anyway, you can see Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin, so that's really important. But it's no DQ this time, so there you go, really adds a bunch there. Um, I alluded to it earlier with uh, what did I say? Bobby, what did I say? What did I call his name? Bobby Lush, Bobby Lush, that's a great name. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush versus Finn Balor. It's a handicap match for the Intercontinental Championship. Again, if uh, it's a handicap match for the IC title. So Finn Balor against Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley. And I can't match for the IC title. Again, uh, in any other era, uh, particularly in like a, you know, the 2000s, if Vince Russo booked this, people would be losing their mind laughing at him and going, Oh my god, Vince Russo, he's so stupid. What an idiot. He knows nothing about wrestling. And this is not me defending Vince Russo, because Vince Russo is an idiot and knows very little bit about wrestling. But there are podcasts to this day devoted to laughing at stupid shit that Vince Russo did when, when he was in WCW. A handicap match for the IC title, Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush versus Finn Balor. Just as stupid as all of those. But, kind of feels commonplace these days. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like in 20 years we're going to be going, oh my god, Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush versus Finn Balor. Or the people that are living through it now wouldn't go, holy shit, this reminds me of bullshit that WCW used to do. Like, oh my god, this is 1999-2000 WCW. In a nutshell, it's a handicap match for the IC title. But, it's this current company, I don't know, people either just don't care, or they just kind of bury their head in the sand. But like, other people would be crucified for this. Other companies and other bookers would be crucified for having such a stupid match like this. But in WWE, it doesn't really matter. But I guess it really doesn't. Bobby Lashley, Finn Balor, IC Championship. You know, Finn Balor fresh off his uh, the match with Brock Lesnar at Royal Rumble. Now um, going for the IC title, and I think he's uh, I think he's gonna lose again too. So um, we'll see. Or he'll pin Leo Rush, and then they'll have like another match between Lashley and Finn Balor. Who the fuck knows? It Doesn't matter. Um, singles match for the Raw Women's Championship: Ronda Rousey versus. Ruby Riot. Uh, it's easy to forget that Ruby Riot has this match because Ronda Rousey's c- central focus on the last few episodes has been all about Becky Lynch and all about the Charlotte feud. But uh, yes, she has to face Ruby Riot. This should be it, it, the way, if, if I'm booking this, even though I know Ronda's on her way out, even though I know Ronda's probably done after WrestleMania, I don't let Ruby have much out of this. I don't think Ruby's going to lose anything by just getting her ass kicked by Ronda Rousey because you establish then that Ronda Rousey is this unbeatable monster, that Ronda Rousey is this this, who can ever topple her. And then at WrestleMania, someone does topple her, whether it be Becky or Charlotte. Should be Becky. For God's sakes, it should be Becky. But (laughs) we'll see. But I I feel bad because Ruby's just kind of being fed of the wolves here, but she'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, I, I think just merely being in this spot with Ronda Rousey is a big deal. Um, for her character, and if she just loses to Ronda Rousey, it's fine, because it's Ronda Rousey, you know, she should lose in a minute to Ronda Rousey, given how the stories have have gone, so that's my one concern with this match, is that they get a little long in the tooth, that they try to give Ruby a little too much, that they try to do a little bit more of that 50-50, where it really, again, it should be, Ruby does a bunch of shit, Ronda gets her in an armbar and taps her out in two minutes, that is the story that I would tell with this match, because I think it's a way better story to tell with this match. Instead of a back and forth with a bunch of Ronda selling, and, and maybe you get the Riot Squad coming in there and interfering a bunch and stuff. But I don't like that. I want Ronda Rousey to look strong as hell going into WrestleMania because then that, that, that match with with Becky or with Becky and Charlotte, regardless of whichever way they go, it'll mean that much more when the, one of those two beats Ronda Rousey. If Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey comes into this match and goes into WrestleMania looking like a world beater that just decimated Ruby Riot that just beat Sasha Banks, that's beat everybody in front of her, and then she goes to WrestleMania. And then Becky Lynch surprises the world and shocks the world and beats her or whatever. That's the story you want to tell. That is the better story to tell. And that's why I think, like, you know, all respect to Ruby I, I You know, I've been watching, you know, Heidi Lovelace, Ruby Riot. I've been watching her for years and years and years and years. She's improved tremendously. And she's one of my favorite women's wrestlers right now. It's just a matter of, you know, you're, you, there's bigger fish to fry. Ronda Rousey is the important figure right now. And Ruby is, is is kind of the accessory to that story right now. So it sucks for her, but it's still a pretty cool moment to be in the ring there. But... You know, I would not be, if I was booking it, the way I would book it, they both get in the ring there. Riot Squad immediately tries to get, you know, involved. It doesn't work out. Ronda just starts beating her up, taps her. It's it. It's done in three minutes. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I would do. There's some other ways to kind of work it out, but I just don't want a 10-minute Ronda Rousey holding her ribs and then Ronda Rousey makes her angry face and beats up Ruby Riot, but after, like, 15 minutes. Because I feel like that's probably what the match is going to be. But I don't think that's a good idea. I think they should just have Ronda Rousey go out there and beat her because it's Ruby Riot. It's someone who just kind of sprang up from the lower card right now. Ruby Riot's time will come, you know, in the future. This is the you know Ronda Rousey's time is now. You know, literally, you have a few more months with her, so maximize that. Have her win here, and then it'll make that WrestleMania thing that much more important. So that's my plan. We'll see what they do with it. I right, move on now to uh, the. Uh, we'll stick with the women here. A Tag Team Elimination Chamber match for the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. We have Nia Jax and Tamina. We have Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan. We have Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. We have the Iconics, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, Bailey and Sasha Banks, as well as Naomi and Carmella. That is your Tag Team Elimination match, and that is a ghastly list right there. Oh, my God. I mean, ugh. Christ. Um This is what I mean about this card. Like Bailey and Sasha are good. Naomi is fine. Carmelo stinks. Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, eh, good characters, but you know, I don't know that they're really great wrestlers. I like Sonya Deville a lot. Mandy Rose is uh <laughs> has a great Instagram account. Uh, the Riot Squad: Liv Morgan, and Sarah Logan. Eh. <laughs> I don't know if they're great either. And we haven't even gotten to Nia Jax and Tamina, which which might have, what a what a hellacious duo. Nia Jax and fucking Tamina. God. So that's I, I if this over delivers, if this is good, if this is even tolerable, credit to everybody that agent this match. Credit to everybody that got involved in this match, because this has real bust potential here. Other than Bailey and Sasha, your next best wrestler is probably Sonia Deville. And she's been on the roster for seven months. Naomi's probably not far behind her. But, like, you really want Naomi to be the, the, the fourth best worker in a match with, you know, 10, 12 people. Like, that. that's not good. And then you have just truly horrible people. Nia Jax, Tamina, Carmella. Kay and Royce, who, who again, good characters, but in terms of in-ring, I've not been impressed by them uh, in quite a while. Logan and, and and Morgan are fine, you know, okay, but are they enough that's going to... Are they going to be able to carry the load of this match? So, I don't know, man. This has the potential to be really, really, really bad, and they're in an elimin- in an Elimination Chamber match, too. You know what I mean? Like So there's going to be this extra... Uh, I don't know if it... I'm trying to figure out the right word for this. This extra sort of motive, Not motivation, but this extra sort of pressure, I guess, would be the right word to say. To do cool shit. And do crazy stuff. But it's Nia Jax. And it's Tamina. And it's Liv Morgan. And it's Sarah Logan. And it's Manny Rose. And it's Carmella. Like, I don't want them to have the temptation to do (laughs) crazy shit. Because they can't do normal shit well. You know? They can't do a normal wrestling match well, so what are they going to be able to do in this? That I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm prepared, and I'm hopeful that I'll be surprised, but I have, oof, I do not have much potential, uh, or much hope, I should say, uh, for this match. That is a, uh, that's a ghastly lineup there for a women's tag team championship. As far as your winner, I expect Bailey and Sasha, but I would not be shocked if Nia Jackson and Tamina win it. Would not be shocked at all. Vince loves his, his big people no matter what. Other well, men, women, whatever he he likes that. So I think that makes a lot of sense. The Nia Jackson Tamina, but I think the, the Bailey and Sasha are are probably the best pick. If I were picking, I would probably just give it to them. It's kind of the easy pick, the chalk pick, but I'd go with them. But it wouldn't stun me if it's Nia Jackson Tamina. I think those are the only two. I mean Naomi and Carmel, forget it. Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, I don't think that's happening either. Uh, Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan, ah, I would really doubt it. So we I mean, you know for sure the Iconics aren't winning. I mean, Jesus, that's that's. Bet The house on that, so I think there's only two teams. I think you know, it only could be Nia Jackson, Tamina, or Bailey and Sasha. I lean towards Bailey and Sasha, but I would not be stunned if Nia Jackson Tamina did it. So, <clears throat> sorry about that. It was one of those tea breaks. Uh, doing a solo show is terrible too when you have a sore throat, but um, anyway, uh, tag team match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles you have The Miz and Shane McMahon versus. Old Jimmy and Jay Uso, so Miz and uh, Miz and, and, and McMahon, of course, um, are defending their titles against the Uso's. Uh, Jimmy had uh, yeah. a fun week, as we should say, an interesting week, so to say. He was uh, Naomi was pulled over by a, a police officer. I believe he was in Detroit was the town, uh, and Jimmy tried to fight him. So <laughs> that did not go well at all for old Jimmy. So um, I am expecting to lose this match. I don't know if there's like big time ramifications for this. I don't know if like he's going to get punched in any way. I, I don't know. I mean, as far as we know, the match is still on. And as far as we know, Jimmy, you know, Jay's fine. Like they're, they're just going to kind of let him move forward and, and, and it is what it is. But um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't expect them to win anyway, but I think any chance of them potentially winning is at a zero now. So now it'll just be a. a, a you know, can Jimmy kind of shake it off and get and and just get back in the ring and 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 do his thing? Or how's the crowd going to react to him? Um, what kind of innuendo is Michael Cole going to bring up? Is Corey Graves going to try to be the cool guy by bringing up something as well? Like, there's a lot of fun stuff. Or this this won't be Michael Cole. This will be uh, Tom Phillips because SmackDown. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in it just to see what the future is. And and I don't know what the future is for the Usos as well. I know Jay had an issue uh, a few months ago. I know Jimmy, obviously, he had this issue. Uh, this could be, I don't know, it could be a potential. I mean, in any other environment, there might be a little bit more behind the potential of those guys getting released or, or, or sent away. But now with AEW out there. There's no chance in hell these guys are staying for sure, but uh, maybe they're out of their. Maybe they're trying to get fired. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to, to 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 at least you know get into the open market and see if Ring of Honor wants to take a cut at them or see if AEW wants it. I don't know. I'd imagine there are better ways to get your release than to you know get in a fight with a police officer because that seems like that could really end uh, pretty poorly uh, for Jimmy. But uh, yeah, very an interesting uh, week there for uh, <laughs> Jimmy, and and yeah, I'm very fascinated to see how uh, how how it plays up in in this match as well. Uh, And then we have our our final match, which I assume will probably be the main event your Elimination Chamber match for the WWE Championship. Dan O'Brien defending against AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, and replacing Mustafa Ali... Kofi Kingston. And I think Kofi's a good replacement for, for Mustafa Ali because he's capable of doing crazy, uh, crazy shit too. Uh, I'm still very disappointed that Mustafa Ali isn't going to be in this match because I think he'd be perfect for it. I would be a huge moment for him. I think you could really have him go some ways where he'll maybe eliminate a few of these guys, really build up Mustafa Ali. But of course, he's not going to be out there. He's not going to be doing that. So Kofi kind of takes his place. Kofi can fill in the doing cool shit quotia, uh, you know, but the, the, the quota, I should say. But I don't really love. The idea of Kofi really going on a run here and pinning, you know, Randy Orton and Samoa Joe and AJ, just like, I don't really love that because it's Kofi Kingston. Unless you really want to build something with Kofi Kingston. If you really want to make this guy, you know, into something, which I, they should have done years and years and years and years, and years ago, and they should do with Big E as well. But if he's just going to go back the next week to being pancake-throwing guy, then, you know, then he can be in there, do with some flip off the top, do some fun shit off the top of the elimination shaver, and then pin him and then move on and then get to the real stars uh, of the match. It, it depends what they feel about him. This will be a telling moment. If he goes out there and has a pretty fun run, I'm going to be one asking that. Hey, let's let's move this guy up. Let's let's let let the new day be its thing. I guess, but like if Biggie and if Kofi and, and even to a lesser extent if Xavier want to have big time singles matches, let them do it. Move these guys out of there. They're big time stars, and, and I think they're very talented wrestlers. So let's let's do a little bit more with those guys. Let's let's give a little bit more equity to the big e, uh, to the Biggies and the Kofis of the world, and and maybe to uh, uh, Xavier's as well, and do something with them. You know, you know, make something out of this New Day thing instead of just guys that throw pancakes and, and, and dance and generate their hips and shit. Like, there's so much more you could probably do with them, but as far as other guys in this match, uh, AJ Styles uh, have not really liked his output as of late, so I'm curious to see what he does in this. Jeff Hardy, uh, ever since he's returned to WWE, I haven't, gave him, I haven't given one f- shit about Jeff Hardy. I haven't given a... A single shit. Not even the, the smallest nugget of shit about Jeff Hardy since he's been in, in back in WWE. So who cares? He's going to paint his face silly. Uh, people are going to talk about him being an enigma or something like that and uh, whatever catchphrases they want to use. And he'll probably do a swatown off one of the chambers. and It'll be kind of cool. But who cares? Um, Randy Orton. Uh, again, I haven't really cared about Randy Orton in like five or six years or whatnot. So um, I don't know. Fine, probably do an RKO or two in <laughs> this match. Maybe. maybe he'll punt somebody, who knows? But uh, that's kind of the Randy Orton experience these days. Samojo, obviously, still one of my favorite characters in WWE. Ah, sorry about that. I think he is going to, uh, I think he's going to acclimate himself pretty well to the chamber. So I- I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, and then Dan O'Brien, of course, the champion, defending champion. I think uh, he's got a pretty good chance to walk out of there with the championship as well. Um, some weird part of, of me feels like either Rowan's gonna interfere in some way, or I think. I, I don't know 100% if he's healthy yet, but like this seems like a good opportunity to have Eric Har- uh Seems like a good opportunity to have Luke Harper come in and uh, you know, out from under the ring or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Would they do that? Yeah, they would. Of course they would. <laughs> what am I Why would I even ask that? Of course they would. So, they just did it. Eric Rowan just came out and ruined the Royal, Royal match. So, I don't know. I have this weird sneaking suspicion that there's, there's some weird way that Dan O'Brien's going to retain this title here. There's some nefarious means that he's going to do to retain this title because it's just the way they've done it with him. They haven't had him win straight up. They've always had him sort of in a lot of ways either lose or have, you know, kind of get help from some outside forces. So I think Brian retains, but I think there's maybe a little bit of a little bit of trickery at hand when he, when he does retain. So, uh, that's Elimination Chamber. We'll have a uh, we have a preview right now as I set up on the website. Uh, we will also have a review uh, as, it, uh, as it concludes on Sunday uh, over at VoicesOfWrestling.com as well. Uh, before I get out of here, I do want to let you know, of course, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Patreon. I have a new series up there called Death's Door. Uh, looking at the final days of WCW. I'm watching each and every Nitro uh, until WCW is dead, unfortunately. Yes, but, uh, it's it's been a fun little series to kind of examine uh, what's going on in these final nitros, and then also examine the news and notes. Um, we are still in like you know mid February, and everyone's still excited. Fuchsia Media's is coming in. Eric Bischoff's coming in. The Big Bang is happening. Everything's looking up for WCW, and then very very quickly thereafter, it's all going to come crashing down uh, in a, in a few short weeks. Uh, WF is going to swoop in by them and the wrestling world will be changed forever so it's been kind of fun to kind of follow that uh, short term little mini series here I think we got about 6 more episodes uh, to go on that uh, Joe has returned to Texas he's back talking wrestling again uh, so I know he did a Thursday Tea review and I know he'll be back up and running on uh, the, uh, the Patreon also uh, some other fun stuff we have planned for you uh, in the next few weeks as well. Also, uh, all at slash Patreon. So definitely check that out. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Voices wrestling and go to voicesofwrestling.com, as I've mentioned many times already. slash uh, forums. If you want to great our, uh, join our great discussion board, you can do that there. slash forums. Uh, and make sure you're subscribing not just to the Voices Wrestling podcast, but uh, all of the great podcasts we do uh, here on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Everything Elite, our uh, all elite wrestling centric podcast. They're doing great work there. Aaron Bentley, uh, Mike Spears, Nate and sometimes Aaron's out but he's never there so um <laughs> it's interesting how can he be a co-host and never show up it's it's pretty, impro- uh, pretty incredible but um they're doing great work Albert uh, restaurant tables always done some great work shake them ropes of course doing good work open the voice gates wrestling on you got the five star match game uh with Joe Gagne. he released an episode a week ago uh, talking ECW or doing a trivia for ECW, really great stuff there. Uh, just so much good stuff going on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. So make sure you're subscribing to that. Not only this Voice Wrestling Podcast, we we thank you of course for subscribing to us, but uh, I think there's a lot of stuff you're gonna like on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network as well. You got music of the Mad as well, which you know, hint hint, there might be a very special man that appears next week on that show. So you know, really good podcast host, really a, a really engaging voice, talking a great topic. Like yeah, it might happen. I mean, every, every guest that he has is pretty great. You know, every guest that Andrew Rich brings on it's Music of the Mat is great, but I tend to think this one's really great. So, you know, it's me. Uh, I'm talking Ray Mysterio, Music of the Mat, coming up this next week. But uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh I think that's it for me. ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W as well. Uh, Try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. Show your supports not only for us, but our sponsors as well. If you go there, they will sponsor us more and more and more. And then we can keep doing the show and keep feeding our wives on these Valentine's days. So VoiceWrestling.com slash V-O-W. And that is it for me. So thank you for joining us on this uh, very strange Frankenstein-esque edition of Voice of Wrestling. But I really do appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great
1: interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Kuhn, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.